Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au. Predict Australia's score with a crystal ball. And it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals. All thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au. Predict Australia's score with a crystal ball. And it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals. All thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Day or night, summer or winter, he's the sound of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Morena, New Zealand, and a very happy Labor Day wherever you are around the country. Some uh, of you will be enjoying a relaxing time. Others uh, will be at work or uh, on the road. So wish you all the best. And if you're on the road, on the statistics I've just heard from Trudy in the news, please, please be careful. Uh, it's been a terrible weekend in that, um, that respect. So look after yourself, look after your families, and look after the, the other motorists on the road. They might not be as good as you. So, yeah, be careful. Uh, this morning, very, very busy show. We're uh, going to look at, um, at the T20 action so far with Nathan McCullum. A couple of, uh, not boilovers, but big results, shall we say. Antoine Cooper, one of my favourite all-time New Zealand athletes, uh, is on the show with us at around 9.41 this morning, of course. He of mountain bike fame. He's a brilliant little athlete. He really is. Uh, he's in quarantine at the moment, so we'll disturb him there. Carl Tanana uh, on that all-black performance rugby over the weekend in general. Uh, Mark Hinton and Jamie Wall will be our panel this morning. Uh, we'll cross uh, into Paul Moati at the TAB, and as usual on a Monday morning, just after 11 o'clock, we'll have Andrew Voss with us, and there's always something for Vossi to talk about, league and other action. Sport is our religion, and here is Smithy's Sermon. Well, the great Sir Graham Lowe once said, there are two types of coaches, those who have been sacked and those who are about to be sacked. So there's a few heads on the proverbial chopping block after this long weekend of action so far. Reuben Thorne's tenure as Canterbury rugby coach must be under severe threat, blowing a big lead under the roof and needing to confirm a downward trend in performance and a seat towards the bottom of the table is not something that will sit well in the red and black boardroom. Only Gunnar Solskjaer is on the thinnest of ice, surely too. The lose at Old Trafford to Liverpool, 5-0, will not be accepted. It is in fact humiliating. 14 points from nine games, seventh on the table, even with the mighty Ronaldo on staff. The popular Norwegian will shortly be shown the door and they might not even validate his parking. They'll be that dark. Whilst they are minnows of the game, the USA Eagles appear to be making very little progress on the world stage, conceding 104 points to a very new look but polished all black side a few weeks after being beaten by lowly Uruguay. You have to wonder where the game is going in America at the moment with all their resources, all the money and all the overseas influence. What's it coming to? You're serious about hosting a World Cup bid, but you'll want credibility on the field if you want to do that, surely. So Gary Gold, as head coach there, should be feeling very nervous. He might be heading past the please explain stage. 
And you can bet the lot on the fact they'll be scurrying around very nervously in the Indian cricket camp tonight after a 10-wicket smashing, smashing by arch-rivals Pakistan at the T20 World Cup. There will be anger, dismay and a heap of sideways glances. Ravi Shastri as head coach is on the way out anyway, we know that. But remember they've got the maestro MS Dhoni in the dressing room as a mentor and support for Kohli. That seemed to work perfectly, didn't it, against Pakistan. So look out for Pakistan now in this competition. It seems that the Black Caps and England have poked the bear and the bear is very angry, very angry. And we, we are next in his sights next time around. 906 here on SENZ and uh, we're joined by Nathan McCullum, of course, former Black Cap spinner, a good exponent of the T20 game, has uh, played it all around the world um, and he is, uh, like us, keeping a very watchful eye on the T20 World Cup, is now starting to get very serious as the big, comes, big guns come out to play. So uh, let's look at those uh, results over the weekend. Australia humbling South Africa, England pulverising the West Indies, Sri Lanka just getting up over Bangladesh. And this morning, this morning, the big one, first time in history, Pakistan beating India by 10 wickets. Yes, 10 wickets. So good morning to you, Nathan. What did you make of that? Morning, mate. How are you? Yeah. Uh, it's a biggie. Yeah, yeah. Biggie. It's a, it's a big one, that, isn't it? There, there's, always that, there's, there's always that close rivalry between India and Pakistan. So, uh Look, uh, in every tournament, uh, as you're as you're aware, in every tournament, you you have a bit of a mishap, and and hopefully you can get through. And I'm sure, uh, I suppose, doing that at the start, and, and like you say, MS Dhoni's in that camp. I'm sure he'll he's been there before when they uh, haven't quite got off to a great start, and uh, and have that awareness to get back going. But um, yeah, it'll certainly dent uh, India's confidence, that's for sure, and and give Pakistan a a, a huge boost. Well, look at some of the games, and we were told that uh, the conditions will dictate some of these performances. Uh, but in this particular case, I, I think it's fair to say that it was um, a relatively batting-friendly surface. Uh, when you look at Pakistan's ease in their run chase against the good bowling attack from India, uh, but Pakistan did the damage with the new ball as opposed to spin with a Shaheen Afridi, who is fast becoming a big factor on the world stage. Shaheen Afridi, uh, what do you know of him? Yeah, he's he's been making his mark for the last uh, last twelve months for sure. And uh, look, he's got pace. He he's got he's obviously got a a bit of a bit of mouse about him to to bowl the right balls in the, in the right areas as well, and and make the right choices when he's under pressure. So um, for me, they're they're a really balanced side. And and any time Pakistan come into a world tournament, you know that they're they're going to be there and thereabouts. So they're just so unpredictable, but they've got some class about them as well. So um, between himself and Baba Azim, uh, Rhett lining lining the coppers with the with the ball and the bat, um, they've certainly got a couple of superstars and, and a few others involved mm. as well. It's not always um, that you, you sort of associate balance and uh, and ease, I guess, with any Pakistan cricket setup. But it seems to me looking from the outside, that this Barbara Azam has got some real leadership qualities, aside from the fact he's probably one of the top three or four batsmen in the world in all forms of the game. Yeah, I think, I think you're bang on there. Um, I think uh, any time you've got someone that stands up and, uh, and, and scores runs at any given time, uh, under pressure... Uh, when the pressure's off, where, where, when your back's totally against the wall, and 
and he's done it in all three formats and and he's been uh, a world class player over the last couple of years and um and I really think it's it's showing the confidence that he's able to exude amongst his team uh and, and for, yeah I don't know him too well but it definitely comes across as as there is he's got those leadership qualities that are a bit like Kane Williamson in the same extent of of just follow me. Um, it's not it's not rah rah rah. It's more a follow me sort of scenario. I, I sort of thought the West Indies might be a big factor in this. They still might, and you make the point that you're allowed one slip up in most tournaments. But uh, to be rolled by England for 55, that's uh, quite a big slip up. Uh, and on the basis in this match and performance at this venue was dominated by spin by uh, Moan Ali uh, and Adil Rashid. Just 55 all out. Yeah, yeah, and that, um, oh look, the, the West Indies are uh, similar in some ways to Pakistan. They've got, they've got the explosive power, they've got the, the flamboyance, um, and, and they've got the skill and the experience as well. And I, I think uh, they'll be a bit more wary. That sometimes the West Indies will come in and, and be cock and hoot and think they're just going to roll role teams with the experience that they've got and the flamboyancy that they've got. But I think that'll be a certain, certainly a shock to the system. And uh, uh, whoever, whoever they're playing next, uh, it might be a good opportunity to go, go pretty hard at them because I'm sure that they'll be a little bit more tentative after that first game. So uh, they, they could be there ready to be, be dead and buried after game two if, uh, if they come up against the right opposition. Can't write Australia off um, in any world com- uh, competition, uh, r- irrespective of the, f- the rumours that you hear about disharmony, about coaching problems, etc. When it comes to the crunch, they're always going to wear the yellow very well. So um, not surprising to me that uh, they quite comfortably beat South Africa first up by five wickets. Yeah, look, I, I, I watched that game yesterday morning, had a, had a bit of a catch-up on it, and... Um, Look, I, I, I thought uh, I thought South Africa did it really well with, with a totally underpass score, 120. Um, when they went out with the ball, they actually did it really well and put Australia under pressure. Um, and Australia Australia came back and, and, and took the opportunity and and Stoinis uh, managed to finish it off near the end. And and I think it was uh, it was just a it just showed the balance of the side really and having that that seventh batter um, gives you that that depth and ability to, and especially to strengthen their squad. They can continue to go and they've still got that confidence in the back. But um, yeah, I thought I think they'll be there and thereabouts as well. You can never write Australia off in a world tournament. Uh, they've got some absolute class and they've got a lot of experience in their team of being in those pressure situations as well. 9.13 here on SENZ, we are talking to Nathan McCullum about the T20 World Cup, which uh, unbelievably already uh, has had 16 matches. Uh, they've racked them up very quickly. It's that kind of tournament. Uh, there's not a lot of room for in between games to fix problems if you've got them. Uh, so New Zealand's first outing will be um, um, on Wednesday morning uh, against Pakistan. Nathan, what kind of uh, team mix are you, are you looking at there, particularly in the spin bowling area? How many do you think we can cater for? Yeah, well, I suppose it's uh, it's a it's a bit different now with uh, with the number of batters that are uh, rolling their arm over. I suppose in the last sort of six to twelve months, as we've seen with uh, uh, with a few of the younger guys, obviously Chapman, 
you got Chapman, you got um, Glenn Phillips uh, and and the likes as well. So, uh, look, I, I, I think you, you definitely need Ish Sodi will be in there no matter what, and I think his his record speaks for himself. And um, I, I just hope he doesn't put too much pressure on himself as a as a leader. But uh, in any case, I think we need to have at least at least twelve overs of spin available. Um, and when I say available, you don't always have to use that, but you, you need 12 overs of spin uh, in, in the bank and in case the, the wicket does turn or, or you want to put the screws on someone that isn't a great player of spin. So outside of that, then it's, it's just about how that's made up, whether there's some part-time or, or whether you're going with out-and-out out out spinners. OK, well, so um, we'll obviously have Santner in the mix there. You've got Astle. Uh, who's floating around, uh, Todd Astle. Um, the wicket-keeping side of things is an interesting one because it can affect the balance of the side. If you've got Seifert in there, um, then, of course, he's got a bat relatively up towards the top of the order. But if you've already got Conway in the side who can do the job, uh, perhaps Seifert misses out uh, to add to that balance. Is, is that a possible read on it? Yeah. it's uh, Look, I think, I think New Zealand's in a really good position and they've done it really well building up to this tournament with people and, uh, uh, with a bit of experience within this uh, within this squad so um, I, I would read it that way I, look I, I think what Conway's done in the, uh, and it's pretty harsh on Tim's side but, but what Conway's done in the last uh, 12 months has, has been phenomenal and his his composure his, his skill set and, and and he's very solid with the gloves as well. I, I think I'd yeah, I, I think I'd chuck in the gloves. Um, and it just gives you a, a little bit more opportunity and diversity as well with that with that left hand at the top of the order, or in and around. Yeah, I think that's probably the way I would go as well. So you've got Bolt and you've got uh, Saudi floating around, Lockie Ferguson with the pace. I, I think our balance is quite good, but it's just a case of. I think just finding that right combination and the conditions in the UAE, which uh, Nathan have been interesting as well, and, and I don't mind for one second that spin's a huge factor in this. I, I think it's a it's a great art, and it's it's one that has to be combated from a batting point of view. So I I, I would imagine you're quite happy to see it up to the forefront as well, not just there as whipping boys. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but but I, I I do think yeah, 2020. You know, if you look at all the World Cups that have gone on uh, in the in the last sort of ten or so years, um, 2020 uh, especially spin has been a huge factor. Uh, and I think uh, the conditions look they they don't turn uh, massively like Sri Lanka or, or India um, on, on bumps and pitches, but. Um, they still do slow up and, and, and spin as a, as a major factor and change of pace from a seam bowling perspective as well. So that'll be talked about. Um, but I, I'd say you'll be looking at uh, the spinners being pretty prominent across the board. And not only that, on the flip side, the players and the teams that have the ability to play spin. Not just slog, uh, not just power hit against spin, but manipulate and, and, and play spin at a minimal risk to continue to, to turn over the scoreboard. Those are the teams that are going to be there at the end because they're going to have to deal with it day in, day out, and, and they'll have to deal with those pressure situations against world-class spinners across the board. Well, let's um, just uh, recap the uh, IPL for a second because, uh, of course, you had a vested interest in it with your brother's team. Uh, the KKR getting through to the grand final, losing to Flem's team in the end, though, but 
Uh, that was a heck of a comeback. Uh, I imagine he gets some sort of kickback, a little bit of a bonus. That's the way they work, isn't it? And I, I imagine he shares it around the family too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, cultured up, cultured up. Nah, look, uh, I, I think his pride will be hurt, won't he? Because Flynn will be all over him with that one on the golf course next mm. time, wherever they are. Um, but uh, look, yeah, that was that was fantastic. It was great to see you. And what was great to see as well was you had three finalists being, being um, New Zealand coaches, uh, and it just shows the, the um, experience that we've got uh, in New Zealand across the world these days um, with, with Mike Kesson, Paz, and, and, and Flynn all being in there in the finals mix. So uh, it's exciting to see, and uh, it, was a, it was a really good tournament in the end. I thought um, they, they managed to obviously get it back up and running and, and do it well, and uh, a change of, change of um, conditions meant, meant that different teams came in the mix. So, um, yeah, look, I think KKR, they, they were there and thereabouts. They'll be, they'll be gutted they couldn't take it a, across the line, but uh, Chino, uh, yeah, they're one of those teams, aren't they? They, they figure out a way yep. to win no matter what, and, uh, and, and they've consistently shown that. Yep, they've done it four times, and uh, with MS Stoney in charge, they might just do it again with Stephen Fleming. So they won't change too much at the top there. Hey, Nathan, thanks very much for your time this morning and keeping us updated on your thoughts of the T20 World Cup. Uh, all eyes on, I think, anyway, New Zealand-Pakistan, which is a massive game in that particular group. So thanks very much for your time this morning. Cheers, Lily. Yep, cheers, Nathan. Uh, Nathan McCullum there, folks. Uh, it's 9.19 here on SENZ. Just, uh, just recapping, uh, Pakistan scoring 152 without loss, chasing down India's 151 for seven. They did it in 18 overs, so two overs to spare. They did it on the bit, as they say, without any pressure whatsoever. Yesterday, Bangladesh uh, 171 for four. Sri Lanka 172 for five. Good win there. Uh, West Indies, as we said, knocked over for 55. England... Uh, a few shaky things to get there, but they're always going to get there. And only eight overs, they got 56, point, uh, 56 for four. So the big guns are out to play, and it's our turn very shortly. Uh, look, um, 8833 is our uh, text number. Uh, what'd you make of the All Blacks? Um, bit of a yawn for me, to be perfectly honest. Um, we expected it would be a big score, um, but a really, really big score. And I don't think it reflects at all well on the United States rugby. We're here, it's, uh, want, uh, wanting to host a World Cup. Uh, we hear that um, it's developing. We keep talking to people to say that the game's going well. It's getting stronger and strength, uh, the strength of certain areas are very, very good. Can't see that in 104 to 14, can you? So what did you make of it? Was it a, a bit of a yawn? Uh, would you be concerned? Uh, and also, what do you make now of, um, of the uh, T20 World Cup now that the, the serious teams um, are up and running and the real contenders have come out to play? 9.20 here on SENZ. To behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 9.26 here on SENZ. Um, hi, Smithy. Brian from Fokatani here. I just got a thought about the Ramfurly Shield. If they can't get the Shield off Hawke's Bay with an empty McLean Park, how that hard will it be to win it when the place is full? Hopefully next season. Yes, well, they did lock it away, Brian, uh, and very convincing style in the end. Uh, pretty average in the first half when they st- were playing basically as individuals, but they got the team talk at halftime, and uh, they decided that perhaps uh, going the team route might be better. Field position, all those basics uh, that you try to talk about that they should have used in the first half to set the game up where they had to come in with the second half, and when they did, everything else sort of fell into place. And But I will say uh, for Waikato, it's a terrible situation for them. They've been rocking and rolling around the place trying to find a base, 
Uh, they lost players who could not get out. They've lost players through injury. In particular, they lost uh, Fletcher Smith uh, with about 40 seconds to go before kickoff uh, when uh, it was decided after a very late fitness test, he turned his ankle that he would not be able to start. Uh, and so everything just... Uh, and then they uh, lost uh, Xavier Rowe as, as well, uh, of course. Uh, their little halfback, their gifted little halfback, they lost him as well. Uh, so nothing really fell their way. And I thought there was... For about an hour, a hell of a gutsy challenge, John. So um, that, for me, was um, the way I summed up that game. But Hawks Bay, yeah, they deserve it. And um, now they've, what, six points clear at the top of the table. Yeah, looking good for the Magpies. Holy smokes. Um, great second-half effort. And, Smithy, this is turning into one of the great reigns of the Ramfilly Shield. I know uh, Hawks Bay had a good one, was it, in 2013, I think, when they defended it about 11 times. But this is going over a couple of seasons now, Smithy. Like... In terms of Hawks Bay history, I don't know it as well as you, but is this one of the great Hawks Bay teams? Yeah, I think so. You go back to the 60s. They rave about the 60s side. Uh, I was alive, but I wasn't a Hawks Bay guy back then. Um, but they rave about that side, and that was a very, very good side. Uh, it included players like uh, Kel Tremaine, Blair Furlong, um, you know, uh, the Meach brothers, uh, you know, uh, Crawford, all those uh, wonderful players back then, Bishop, McRae, Davis outstanding team back then but this one uh, this one's very very special in terms of the brand of rugby that they play and it's so exciting uh, as soon as they get any sort of license at all they just go nuts so it's been just uh, fantastic to watch and um, they've just been uh, too strong for a lot a lot of uh, of other sides because of the pace that they play the game at they turn the ball over quickly and recycle it and away they go uh, so it's been good it's been it's been impressive so far um, the rain, but uh, now they can focus. Um, now they focus, of course, on the on the championship, uh, and they're a big chance there. Although I'd imagine there's sides like Tasman, and so I've got a point to prove, and won't take this uh, to take this um, these these beatings too well. What uh, the other result over the weekend, which um, was surprising to me was uh, Canterbury blowing a lead, John, against uh, Otago under the roof in Dunedin. Yeah, 17-0 up, and we picked it on Friday. We were both going for Canterbury because backs against the wall, you know, coaching staff under pressure. We thought they'd go down there and just put on a statement, put on a clinic, and it started off well for them, Smithy, but then they just lost their way. Like, I don't know, they almost put the cue in the rack. It was a strange performance. It looked like a team who didn't know how to win. And, and were lacking confidence. And I guess those are words that you don't really associate with Canterbury. It's, it's quite bizarre. It is. So therefore, they, you know, they will be under pressure. There's no doubt about it. Uh, I think it's Mark Brown and, uh, and Reuben Thorne who are the two coaches uh, at the helm of what's going on down there. They've still got some wonderfully talented players, uh, but they just can't find the mix and they just can't find the, um, you know, the rhythm. That, that Canterbury sides have got. They're not dominating in those areas where they usually do, and they're not doing it for 80 minutes like they usually do. So uh, it's not a bad thing. Not a bad thing. Everything comes in cycles, and their cycle has been a very, very, very strong one uh, over the years. It's 9.30 here. Uh, it's news time with Trudy. When we come back, we'll look at a possible starting 11 uh, for the T20 Black Caps against Pakistan. Nine thirty-two here on SENZ double eight double three. What would your combination be, perhaps, for the Black Caps to take on Pakistan? Pakistan absolutely conclusive over India this morning. A ten-wicket hiding, chasing down a post uh, sub. Uh, sorry, one one fifty score. That is not easy to do. 
that is not easy to do against a bowling attack that possesses the likes of Shami and Bumrah, Jadeja. Uh, so they're in form, Pakistan, and we knew uh, once uh, countries turned their back on them uh, for various reasons that they would get angry. We heard it from their CEO, we heard it from their Prime Minister, we heard it from some of their players that they were pretty determined to make their mark in this tournament. Well, they certainly have first up. So how do we go about beating them? Um, we're going to have to play very well, there's no doubt about it. Uh, I myself would use Conway as the wicketkeeper and I'd open the batting with him. So Conway at the top of the order with the gloves, with Martin Guptill, uh, and then you've got Williamson, of course, providing the elbows right, and that uh, he seems to be a daily basis kind of a thing. Uh, Phillips, Mitchell, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd use Mitchell. Uh, I wouldn't use him open because I think he's a great closer. I think he's a really balanced and, and cool-thinking batsman in situations, a la... A la Grant Elliott. I think he's our, uh, our Elliott-type player in, in these sort of situations. So I, I like Mitchell there. Uh, Nisham, you've got to have his unpredictability. He can get wickets. He can hit it out of the park. He do something brilliant in the field. So I think he, he fits in there at number six for me. And then you've got Santner, who's uh, undoubted as a T20 cricketer. Sodi, um, that would uh, be in there, East Sodi. So Santner, Sodi would be my two spinners in this particular game. Then I'd try and hit them with Lockie Ferguson. And if the swings at all... Tim Southey and Trent Bolt, I think, are the best around doing that. So that would be it. Conway, Guptill, Williamson, Phillips, Mitchell, Nisham, Santner, Sodi, Ferguson, Southey, Bolt. That would be my combination, John. Yeah, mate. I um, jotted mine down as well. And isn't it... I had the same 11. Uh, Isn't it interesting that Cole Jamison just isn't in the best New Zealand 11 players for T20? And uh, I said at the start when they picked Tim Seifert in the squad, do you need a specialist... Wicketkeeper, I guess they were wanting more form out of him in the Caribbean Premier League and didn't quite see enough, so he doesn't force his way in either. So isn't it interesting that a couple of uh, guys who we thought maybe were going to be key players for New Zealand and Jamison and Seifert um, won't feature in your best 11 for that first game? No, I don't think they will. Um, Jamison, of course, uh, who's a multi-millionaire out of uh, one season where uh, he was available to play for the Royal Challengers Bangalore but didn't play... Uh, all that many games in the end when it came to the crunch, and Mike Hessen couldn't find room for him in the side. So, uh, so it's been a bit of a fall from grace in that respect. Uh, but you know, he's still a young kid. I mean, and he's been so good uh, in Test cricket. Maybe that uh, that's one of his focuses at the meantime. And while I work away behind the scenes on his white ball game, but um, to be honest, um, yeah, I, I'm not surprised that I would be surprised if they picked him ahead of uh, Southey or Ferguson. I, I, I simply would be. Uh, Southie's Naus is very good in World Cup situations. He's a smart guy, uh, and he also knows how to get the best out of the conditions and bolts undoubted. So they, they, to me, they're the three that I would go to. They're the proven ones in T20 cricket. Southie's been around the IPL for so long, and uh, there's a reason for that, because people want him around, um, and so he's done a good job there. So I don't, I don't see them straying too far away from that. But the heat goes on, uh, for me, the heat goes on those top four Conway, Guptill, Williamson and Phillips have to front. They simply have to front. Uh, they have to have good starts, rapid good starts, uh, so that New Zealand can uh, consistently get over the 150-160 mark in this competition. Oh, I think that's, that is the bar. That is the bar. Uh, look, uh, we're going to change codes very quickly. We're going to go to mountain biking and talk to Anton, Anton Cooper very shortly here on SENZ. New Zealand. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Anton Cooper joins us uh, this morning. And uh, Anton Cooper, of course, is a very, very successful uh, Kiwi cross-country mountain biker. 
Um, he's uh, been on the road for quite some time, having uh, competed in the Olympics um, and has uh, been in the subsequent events as well around Europe in particular. Uh, good morning to you, Anton, uh, in MIQ, but you can see the finish line in sight. Yeah, good morning. Yeah, it's getting, getting a bit closer. Um, look, you're in the final few days of uh, MIQ after a massive, massive season competing overseas, including uh, the uh, Tokyo Olympics. How, how long has it been since you slept in your own bed, man? Well, far too long. I left, I think I left like April the 23rd or something like that, 24th. So by the time I get out, it's, yeah, it's over six months. That's a long time, mate, uh, for anyone to be away. Um, but you have been active. You've been busy, including the Olympics. Three months, almost three months to the day since uh, that memorable event. To tell us a wee bit about it um, as uh, as an experience, because it was sapping. It was tough. Um, I think I followed every every minute of your race, and I, I got to know the course not as well as you, but I felt like I knew it really well. Uh, can you take us back to that day? Yeah, I mean, I'm flying. You said it's three months. It feels like uh, not too long ago, but yeah, I mean, it was a it was a very tough race. The temperature and the humidity in Tokyo is always going to be a factor, and um, the course conditions being they hadn't had much rain um, in, a, in quite a, quite a while. It seemed there, so the course is very dusty and dry, and that made the rocks quite slick and, and uh, challenging as well. So. What was already a technical course became quite hard, you know, traction on the climbs, traction on off-camber sections and, and the rock gardens was, was difficult and, yeah, the temperature and humidity as well. So um, you add that into what's uh, the best field in the world, you know, competing at Olympics, it's going to be a tough race. But, yeah. man, the experience of being there, racing um, at that level and all the years building up to it and to have a good performance as well was, um, yeah, I'll, I have really special memories from that forever. One of the things that strikes me about mountain biking and most of the courses I've been looking at, that the opportunity to pass people, um, you know, they're, they're very few and far between because so much of it's such a narrow um, t- type circuit. So um, tactically, I, I guess you have to be very aware of that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, tactics are across all cycling disciplines and probably more so in road cycling, but in mountain bike you still have that as well. And, and like you say, a lot of that, tactics are more about you know where where you're passing someone and making sure you're in front of someone um for for a section you know let's say you might be more suited to the descent you you want to make sure you're in front of that person who's a bit weaker there or if you're stronger on the climbs you want to um or you're, you're planning to attack on a climb you need to make sure you're in the right position to to do so and um and also you know, like if you get caught up behind someone who's who's about to blow up and fade, and you, they lose the gap to the wheel as well in front of you, then that's extra energy you have to expend later to, to try like close that gap. So there's a lot of moments in the race, and and trying to keep yourself at the front of front of the the pack is like sometimes mentally you know where you need to be, but physically it's mm. it's also not possible. So um, when you have the best races is when, when you feel good, first and foremost, but also when you make the right kind of tactical decisions along the way. So the other thing about it is uh, you're the only Kiwi in the race as such, um, you know, who was up the front there, but sometimes you, you, you might be racing against two or three guys from the same country, which was uh, the case in the Olympics. So is there any teams racing goes on in that regard, or is there just everyone, everyone for themselves? What, what's being said out there? 
Well, there in theory can be teams racing. Yeah, there's nothing saying you can't work as a team, but certainly at Olympics and mountain biking, uh, there wasn't any of that. You know, you look at the top nations with probably France and Switzerland, who were kind of the, some of the, the deeper squads with three riders, and, um, and those riders all have a chance of winning the race and or meddling. You know, pretty much everyone in their team has a chance of a medal, and most of them also have a chance at the win. So, those guys are not really out to work with each other. They're they're racing each other, even though they're under the same um, banner as a nation. But it's that's what I like as well. I prefer it that way. You know, I don't want to, you know, I want to race a race knowing that everyone on the start line is out to win, try and win it. You know, um, and that team tactics try not to. And not going to be a huge factor, and I, I definitely appreciate that side of the sport. How's how was the body after that Olympic event? Because uh, you know your, your season was far from over. So, how did you feel mentally and physically uh, taking on the next uh, few events? <laughs> yeah, to be honest, I was pretty, I was pretty ruined. I was pretty ridden off, and I don't, I didn't really expect that so much. But um, you know, like you, you spend a huge amount of time building up to first of all gain selection to the to the Olympic team and to make sure you have that. I had that spot as a, as a as a Kiwi rider. And um so you, you spend a lot of energy doing that and then you have a short, tiny little taper and then build straight up to peak for the Olympic Games and um straight after the games I was really in a hole and I think part of that was obviously because and, and probably a good sign because it means I didn't I <laughs> I had my peak planned to perfection. Um, it also meant that I suffered the rest of the season because I'd, I'd done my absolute maximum. And um, the last three odd races of the year, we had uh, world champs and two world cups after that were were a real struggle for me. So, And and I think mentally I was in the right space to, um, to continue racing and to have another crack. But physically, I, I the body wasn't um, ready to keep racing. And been racing at a high level since February and, and suddenly after, you know, as you enter August and September and you're trying to still race at that high level without really having the opportunity to have a break after Olympics, that was a, a real challenge. So um, as you look forward, and I take it you're going to carry on, there's no doubt about it, you're only 27 years of age, so uh, you're in the top bracket, so you've you got to keep going. So what, what, did you, what have you learnt, uh, even as you look at perhaps a schedule for next year, what... It won't be an Olympic year, so you can uh, take that part of it out. But what have you learned in terms of peaking and and conserving? Yeah, I mean, you learn you learn stuff every year. And to be honest, like I, I knew it would probably be a factor. My coach knew that as well. But with the nature of the Olympics, you know, that's an event that rolls around every four years, or in this case, five years. So um, we were going to put everything into that basket, and and that was. You know, our plan A, B, and C was Olympics, and after that, we, you know, whatever happened, happened. So, um, going forward to next year, there's there's not Olympic games. We have Commonwealth Games, which will be a a big target, and also the World Championships. So, um, they'll be the two main events. And outside of that, mm-hmm. we have like a an eight race World Cup series, um, which will be you know the the next major events on the calendar. And I think I will try and kind of Target a few a few World Cups in particular, like the first um, the first few. Um, the overall for the World Cup standing is not a priority for me, but I'd certainly like to tick off winning a, a World Cup next year and um, standing on the podium a few more times and and being up the sharp in there. So it'll be 
I think I'll also have to certainly um, take a break, a mid-season break, and I'll look look at doing that in late May um, at this stage where there's a bit of a, a small gap in the calendar. I'll just have to make that work for me. So I'm, I'm strong at the back end of the season as well. So, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm not the tax department here. I'm not the IRD, but is it a lucrative? Is it lucrative to be in the, you know, the top bracket? I mean, uh, in terms of uh, royalties and, and sponsorship, etc., and prize money. What, what, I mean, I, I have absolutely no idea what the prize <laughs> money side of it is. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. It's a, it's a it's kind of closely guarded thing, and um, you know, it's not quite the same as you know, you see NRL players' salaries and all this kind of popping out every day all the time, but. You know, like we've got top riders in the sport making millions of dollars. Um, in the mountain bike, there's certainly a few riders earning hundreds of thousands of euros a year in a salary. And I'd, I'd say any rider in the top um, 10 is, is certainly over kind of a couple of hundred thousand New Zealand dollars a year in a salary. We are a salary-based sport. Um, prize money is, is very is actually very low. You know, you win a a World Cup and it's something like I think it's maybe seven thousand New Zealand dollars um, if you're lucky and it tails off very quick. There's only prize money for the top ten, so we rely on on a salary. We rely on bonuses from the team as well to bump up that kind of prize money aspect. And you know, so much of it is also performance based. You know, like you can be on a big salary one season and and kind of <laughs> if you have a bad year the year after that, you can drop out of sport completely or, or fade right away. So. Yeah, while there's money to be made if you're up this, the very sharp end, there's there's also um, money to be lost if you, if you drop out of it. So, Nat, you're days away from uh, being released out of MIQ. What are you looking forward to most, and how far back in the garage are you going to put your bike while you re- while you rest and uh, recuperate? Yeah, I mean, I can't wait to be out. It's uh, I've got my indoor trainer in here. He actually ended up in, in Christchurch and had. Um, your family could drop off my, my road bike in the, in the trainer. So I've kind of been spinning away, but that's the really last thing I want to do is ride into a trainer. So I absolutely hate it, but it's got to be done. So um, I can't wait to get out in the hills again. Um, I'll, I have a few more days, you know, completely off the bike when I get out just to have a, a nice mental break and, and then I'll jump back on the bike. And to be honest, I'm quite looking forward to, to training again because I feel like the last weeks have been just kind of you know it's a bit of wasted time you just um all the time preparing to travel home and then and then actually traveling home and sitting around in MIQ it'd be nice to actually get out and do something a bit more active again and um yeah look forward to racing again next season good luck mate uh thanks very much as always uh enjoy talking to you and uh i love your event and i love the way you go about it so thank thanks for your time and uh, enjoy enjoy life when you get out thank you <laughs> cheers will do yeah, cheers, Anton Cooper there, great bloke, absolutely fantastic. Uh, 9.52 here on SENZ, uh, just time for a multi before 10 o'clock. Dumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when to hold know when to fold Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Well, we've talked about it already this morning. Uh, Canterbury, uh, I had them to beat Otago on Friday night. They didn't. Otago knocked them over. So that was the end of the multi, almost uh, from the outset. And then again this morning, I had India to beat Pakistan in the cricket. Well, Pakistan gave them an absolute hiding. 
Uh, so today, uh, Labor Day Monday, let's have a go at uh, a bit of American football. San Francisco, 49ers to beat the Indianapolis Colts at a buck 54. Portuguese football will go Boa Vista to beat the Belenenses at a dollar 91. And in tennis, the ATP in St. Petersburg of all places, uh, Del Bonis to beat Anduja at a dollar 71. That'll uh, come out at 503. Uh, text in from Richard uh, Phillips to keep Smithy. Phillips to keep, uh, we talked about that actually uh, with uh, Glenn Phillips when he was uh, on the line to us from uh, the Caribbean League. And he said he hasn't really done any wicket keeping at all. He's actually more focused on bowling. And I don't think, I think he's around third in line in this particular squad. So I don't see him, barring injury, being a factor with the gloves on. It's a big ask for Conway to open and keep. Given the small gap between games, don't doubt that at all. But I think he's a fit man, uh, young man. It's only 20 overs, um, and, and I think he, he he just picks up on those things quite naturally. So not physically, perhaps, but mentally draining. Yes, it is. It is mentally draining. Any World Cup is mentally draining. But again, I think that Conway is, is capable of, of handling that. Uh, after 10 o'clock, we're going to be talking to Akal Tanana, who, of course, was involved in the commentary on the All Blacks against the United States Eagles at the weekend. What did he make of it? Must have been sick of looking at conversions and the All Blacks on attack. Wasn't a great match, in my regard, anyway. Just two minutes past 10 here on SENZ in the mornings, and it's time to talk some international rugby. Uh, it was on. It can't be ignored. Uh, we knew that the All Blacks would take on the USA Eagles, and we knew uh, that it would be a pretty one-sided affair, even bearing in mind that the All Blacks had uh, a much more experienced bench, in fact, than they had actually 15 on the park. The Caps outnumbered the bench outnumbered the, by about 120. A lot of new talent there on show, uh, but we knew that um, it would be one-sided. But did we really think it would be that one-sided? Well, to talk about us now, uh, talk about now is uh, Carlton Nana. Uh, of course, former New Zealand Sevens great, Sky Sport rugby commentator who was involved in, in calling the game for Sky Sport. Uh, good morning to you, uh, KT. Uh, tough, was it a tough game to call? Was it a tough, tough one to call? Because you, you're getting those pictures from the host broadcaster. They didn't appear to be that rugby savvy, some of the people involved there. <laughs> yeah, good morning, Smithy. Yeah, I mean, um, as you know, it's... Uh when, when, you, when you're under the gun from, from another host broadcaster who's doing their pitches, there's some random stuff that come up, but um, I think I think you just have to flow with it like the All Blacks did going over there. You know, They were shaking hands and taking pictures and, and doing all the right things and saying all the right things and uh, just to be involved. Uh, it, was always a, it was a pleasure with the All Blacks, as you know, been there for, for years. You know, So uh, it was cool, cool, cool to be a part of, but yeah, it was a tough call. I mean, like you said, it was... We always knew the result. It was just how much, you know. And um, I think, I think, you know, the, the, the All Blacks. You know, I've seen a lot of comments from about the whole situation with the All Blacks and the score and stuff. But I mean, you got you, the Tier One teams have to play the Tier Two teams at some stage to get them better, you know. And I mean, we thrashed you know, the J- J- Japanese in the World Cup by 120 odd, I think, 140 odd actually. Um, you know, and now they're making a quarterfinal with a World Cup, so we had to start somewhere and good on the All Blacks for doing that, you know, they've played Tonga, they've played uh, Fiji, and now they've gone away and played the US, so I mean, they're doing their part. Okay, let's uh, let's let's break it down, I mean, uh, for a start, I mean, I, I think uh, I saw a USA player smiling at the Harker, now that doesn't tend to end well, does it really, so it, <laughs> it tends to fire, it does tend to fire the camp up somewhat. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but you know, you've got to look on it from these sides. These guys have come from um, come from basically the, the major league club rugby, you know. And then it's the first time these guys would have ever seen it. They've they've heard about facing the haka, you know. But I think for them, it wasn't a disrespectful thing. I think it was more of a oh wow thing, you know. The 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 playing the All Blacks. This is the haka, you know. They're, they're pumping themselves up as the Yanks do. But I mean, um, while on TV, you can turn the TV off. You can't do that live. And I think they sort of realised pretty quick in that first half that. Um, it was for real, and so yeah, I, I know a lot of them said about that, the smiling stuff. But I think for them, it was more of a, well, this is the hucker type thing, and this is what it means. And um, a lot of American football teams and college teams, and they actually do the hucker. So I think it was it was more along that lines. I, I don't see it as disrespectful. I don't feel feel that anyway. No, okay, fair enough. Let's um let's look at the, the performance that uh, that most impressed you from uh, an All Black point of view. Let's uh, let's start with the wingers. How, how did you feel? Um, uh, Will Jordan and, and George Bridge went. Oh, yeah, I mean, Will Jordan, he was everywhere. You know, and, and, and yeah, you know, their 100th game against the Springboks, they, they didn't play well, the, the two winners, you know. So um, I think this was a kickback performance for them and um, one that they really got their confidence up. But just, just with Will Jordan, his, um, his ability and timing into the line is just unreal. And I think that's the thing. Uh, that sets him apart from anywhere else, uh, any other winger in New Zealand at the moment is his timing into the line. I mean, that, I think that last try that he got, I mean, that was just unreal. That was Christian Cullen like, you know, and I don't like saying that because I know how good Cully is, and um, mm. you know, but that, that, that's sort of what he reminds me of. He's just so smooth across the deck, and uh, I think I thought he was, he was a one yesterday. So, if we were starting, um, say we we're starting against Ireland or. Perhaps France tomorrow. What would your back three look like then, Carl, on, on what you've seen so far on this tour? Yeah, I, I think D Mackey, like that game, suited him because it was loose, but I still think Geordie Barrett, um, I think he's our starting 15, I think, at the moment, just with um, the Irish game plan, you know, I think will be obviously a bit more polished. So I, I think he's he's the number one 15. I, I, I still like uh, Seve Reese. I like the competitive nature of him, so I'd, I'd have him on one side. Or even, well, actually, it depends what you do in the centres, right? I suppose, because I, I actually think Rico's a natural, natural left, left wing. Then I'd have, um, I'd have Will Jordan on one side. So for me, I'd have Rico, Will Jordan, and um, and and, and um, Barrett at the, in the fifteen. Quinta Pyre, uh, very impressive in the midfield. Oh, he was he was massive. Oh, I think he's made a real headache um, for the next game. I, I just like the way he was. Um, he was just getting getting that game line, you know. And we know as an All Black backline, that's probably what released the back three was him um, hitting those up, uh, they, they, that, that ball up. He was on those eggs. He was the first guy receiving that pill and, and getting right over the advantage line. So I, I think um, him going forward is going to be um, he's, he's, he's going to be a, he's going to be our twelve, I think, um, and and not near distant future. So I wouldn't be surprised if he starts one of these big games. Okay, let's inch forward to the number nine jersey. Uh, where do you think the pecking order is now? Bearing in mind, of course, Aaron Smith is not available until uh, next year. Uh, how do you see the pecking order there as we head to the serious stuff? Yeah, Finley Christie, man. I, I, his defensive work, I know he, he's so quick to the ball and um, he had a free run with the, at the breakdown because it was so clean, but his defensive work, he made a couple of really massive stops there. So I, I think he's um, another guy uh, that... Really put his hand up to to get in that um, that second halfback position. You know, TJ come on. Um, you know, he's a different player, but he, he made a couple of um, funny passes and 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 inaccurate passes. Um, 
So uh, I think um, you know Finlay didn't you know under pressure. So I just like the way he reads the game very much like Aaron Smith. But um, just his defensive work, I, I think he's just so strong around that breakdown for for you. Such a small dude, he's, he's quite unassuming. But he's like George Gregan; he's got that natural power. So Finlay, so I think he's um, him and he's pushing Brad Wither for that second spot. Um, forwards, we just touched on the forwards briefly. Uh, the loose, uh, I think one of the one of the unanswered questions really is our top loose forward trio at the moment. Bit of game time for mm-hmm. uh, Sam Kane, Dane Coles getting back into the mix as well, of course, which was uh, the pluses. Sam Whitelock back on duty and leading the side. But uh, the loose forward area, uh, Luke Jacobson, pretty impressive at number six. And um, I, I guess uh, if there was any thought that Akira Ioani had the position sewn up, uh, the likes of Blackadder and Jacobson. Uh, certainly really stepping forward. Yeah, yeah. And, and and I think with Jacobson, we've seen his support plays just unreal and he's he's adaptable. We've seen him at eight and now we've seen him at six and he's looked comfortable in both. Um, and also Blackadder, you know, he's that grunty number six, old school, that um, physical and smashes, smashes blokes, you know. So, I mean, Jacobson, the game, once again, the game, the game sort of suited him, being able to, to, to get out wide but still do his yard. So, I mean, against the big pack, I think you go with Blackadder because he's just he's just tight. He's like a Jerome Kaino and and uh, a JC, a Jerry Collins, where he can just um, have that physical presence. You know, not that Jacobson doesn't, but I think um, Blackadder just brings that little bit extra starch, which you would need up in Europe. You know, so it's um, but yeah, Jacobson again is causing a number of headaches. I'm sure uh, going forward um, with, with his utility sort of tag, he can he can do in at least forwards. I'm. I'm a little bit worried, I've got to say. I mean, you know, you, you mentioned before, and you made a good point, that we did beat uh, Japan by a very, very big margin uh, uh, all those years back. And then, of course, they've turned around and they've done relatively well at World Cups, knocking over South Africa, in fact. Uh, but I worry about this from the United States' point of view because it's been a long time in the mix, this, for me, uh, and it doesn't appear as if they've closed uh, a gap. Uh, if anything, it might have lengthened. So there must be some pressure on the likes of Gary Gold, the head coach, and the way they look at things. Um, uh, and, and, you know, just are they doing, going about it the right way, Carl? Yeah, well, a lot of their players, all their, all their overseas players couldn't play. That's why they had all those major league rugby guys. Um, he actually didn't start a number of um, his top guys either. So these young, he sort of chucked these, those young blokes uh, to the walls to a degree, Gary Gold. So I think. You know, they, 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 they use it as a promotion for the game, obviously, but then also, also I think they use your blacks uh, to announce their ambitions to hold a World Cup. I know World Rugby in particular is keen to get the game over there, and um, so it was more of a platform uh, for, for, to get, for rugby to get in the consciousness of the, of the Americans. They love the number one teams regardless, you know, and they, and they support their fans, uh, the fans support them regardless of the result, and they have a good time, and they had to put on a show. So I think, yeah. I mean, losing to Uruguay is probably not the best um, warm-up going into playing All Blacks team and that sort of carry-on. But I think, um, once again, um, everyone knows, I mean, today you knows, well, rugby knows, that that's the next um, frontier for, for, for rugby to get, get amongst and obviously get the financial um, uh, financials done over that side as well. So, it's um, yeah, I mean, I wish they didn't get the three figures. That's not good for anyone, but... I think in the second half, when they did hold phases, they, they were able to. They showed that they were able to actually breach the All Blacks line. They, they've never scored a try ever against the All Blacks, and they got two yesterday. So, you know, I think for, for such a young squad that's never experienced that game speed, 
one of the top teams in the world, they adapted quite quickly. So they just need more time under the belt and more exposure to top teams. Meanwhile at home, uh, the MPC charges on, well it limps on actually because there's a lot of <laughs> sides not able to take part, a lot of games aren't uh, eventuating, um, so what have you made of, of what you've been seeing in, the, in uh, some of those MPC games overall? Yeah, I, 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 um, I'm with Neil Barnes, uh, I know he had a crack at the NZR about um, they're not being finals. You know, the ladies had their, their playoffs and, and still had promotion relegation. I'm still the same. I think mean, you've got to be fluid in these situations and these competitions. And these guys are, are like you say, they're, they're playing where they can. This is teams pulling out and um, we'll stop because, uh, you know, this this weekend we'll trade the Park and Sean Monnelly and stuff like that. But I still think, um, you know, those sports massive, um, massive platform for people to enjoy in these, in these pretty shock, shocking times, you know, and uh, even uh, on your on your platform, being able to talk sport, it uses a lot of people, you know. So I still think um, there should be a winner. There should be promotion relegation, and um, you know we just need to sort out our competition because the Premiership Championship is hard to understand. A lot of times it's crossovers and this and that. I think there's some people that are just making up decisions to confuse people, and it's just hard to follow. So I think we just need a simple competition, and everyone likes and can get all again and enjoy. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm with you and Barnsley on that as well. I think there still has to be incentive, regardless if you can play. Yeah. There's got to be a reason why, uh, and and um, I think they might have missed the boat. Their eight six split for me wouldn't have been too much of an issue, and I know the television people wouldn't worried about it one iota as long as they're getting rugby on. Uh, look, uh, the other mm. thing before we let you go, uh, and you touched on it, um, the tragic passing of of Sean Wainui. Uh, at such a young age, really terrible uh, thing. Um, and Carl, you would have known him, um, you know and uh, been associated with them. They farewelled him uh, with a tangi yesterday in, in the Poverty Bay region, which uh, were his roots, of course. But it's a left a big hole in the game and a lot of people thinking. Yeah, yeah, and I think he just said so because he was so young and he was in his prime and, and um, you know, played for a lot of teams. So it's, it's a degree of separation, right? Um, I, oh, yeah, like you say, I knew him personally. He's a great young man. He's a great kid. Always said you know, hello and come up and... And, and had a chat, you know, so you're that type of guy that um, would have talked to anyone, and I suppose that's why the response has been how it's been, you know, so it just hit same, you know, like, uh, I've got a, I've got a son the same his age, you know, I don't know, uh, you know, if he'd pass, um, you know, it, it, it would hurt real hard, so it's, um, it's just one of those things, you know, that's always hard, and, and the rugby community, I suppose, Smithy, as you know, is, is, is close, and these situations, they got together and supported each other, um, you know, which is, which is always a, a cool thing in such a sad time. Yeah, it is. Um, just finally, really, before we let you go, mate, um, uh, what, are, what are you expecting now in these uh, four games coming up in Europe? Um, uh, you know, Italy uh, will be incredibly um, uh, competitive, I would imagine, Ireland, Wales with that pride of theirs, and, and maybe the unpredictability of France. Um, uh, so I, I think a, a lot more testing and a lot more to look forward to. What, what are your expectations? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that France test. I think um, uh, I've covered a couple of uh, number of the players uh, in the under 20s. Now they've come to the top grade, and uh, they're going to be a, a pretty strong unit um, going forward. And especially with the World Cup uh, next year at home, they're, they're going to be tough to beat. You know, so it's going to be a testing time for for the All Blacks. I think uh, a lot of people don't realise how tough uh, this French team are. It'd be interesting to see how Ireland pull up, but. Uh, Wales as well. I'm mean, their first uh, cab they get. So, as you know, Smithy always a tough place to go and play. And hearing that anthem and they're so passionate, so uh, 
Um, I, I'm looking forward to. It. I'm really looking forward to see how um, how, how the All Blacks react um, moving on from the Rugby Championship and how they deal with uh, some of these um, these packs um, up 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 in the Northern Hemisphere. KT, always great uh, to catch up, mate. Uh, fantastic. Uh, I know you're feeling it at the moment, so uh, we wish you all the, uh, all the best in that. Uh, look, because it's Labor Day, you can double your invoice too when you send it in. Double it because you know it's a holiday. <laughs> Hey, we triple it right. overtime. That's us, Okay, I'll, I'll sign it off. Don't worry, man. <laughs> All the best, KT. Cheers, brother. <laughs> All the best, KT. Lovely to talk, mate. Thank you. Ten seventeen here on SENZ. Uh, panel time very shortly. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Panel regulars this morning, Mark Hinton and uh, Jamie Wall will go big uh, on rugby, a uh, little bit of, um, I think, basketball to talk about, um, particularly we might even uh, touch on uh, Hawke's Bay, we just might do that, but uh, begin uh, this morning uh, with Mark Hinton, um, was it all or not all what you expected when you watched the All Blacks, Mark, yesterday morning? Uh, morning Smithy, morning all your listeners, um... Was it what I expected? Yeah, pretty much. The score was a little higher, um, maybe, you know, than what we might have anticipated, but that was a pretty weak USA team. Um, look, there was a mismatch. It was always going to be a mismatch, and the, the, the degree of mismatch was compounded by the fact that the USA couldn't even pick their strongest team. I mean, let's face it, they don't not exactly blessed with depth when it comes to rugby the mighty USA, um, and when they can't pick their strongest team, it was never going to be much more than an opposed training run. So um, not not hugely surprised, a bit like Tonga earlier this year, wasn't it? Um, but, you know, they keep, Smithy, everyone keeps going on about the US being the sleeping giants of world rugby. They are still snoring their heads off, that's for certain, because mm. uh, there are no, no signs, based on what we saw yesterday, that that they're going to emerge as any sort of credible force anytime soon. I know there's some positive things happening, bidding for World Cups. They've got a pro competition up and running. But they've still got a long way to go to produce the talent to compete with the Tier 1 nations, and that's essentially what the game comes down to. Jamie, uh, as you watched any uh, that, that game, did you learn anything about um, the All Blacks? Because... Uh, as Mark pointed out, they went up against much. So do we read too much into any of those individual performances? Uh, yeah, good morning, guys. Uh, absolutely not. There, there was nothing you could take out of the game at all. Uh, I think guys like Sam Kane, Dane Coles, etc., who are going back into the team, it probably would have done them better to just go have a run up the hill or something. Um, what, what I did learn, though, is that, uh, and just picking up on something that Mark just mentioned, about the growth of the game in the USA is their World Cup lid, is that those stadiums are completely unsuitable for playing test rugby and they're just not big enough. Um, that, that end goal is only about four metres long and that field can't possibly have been a regulation test rugby field because it's, uh, it's built for a, a smaller American football field. Uh, and you couldn't even see the corner of, of one of the... Um, uh, sorry, one of the one of the corners that Will Jordan is scoring his tries in, uh, because the, the stadium isn't built to um, to broadcast uh, a rugby match in. So how they're actually going to hold a World Cup without dramatically changing 
either like reshaping those stadiums or uh, changing the size of the field itself, uh, it's going to be a major logistical issue for them if they are going to have a World Cup deal, which I think World Rugby are probably quite keen on. Um, but that's mm. that, that's what I took out of it. <laughs> yeah, not too much at all. So uh, I, I guess money will talk, Mark, when it comes to this bid. Uh, so I would imagine it will, you know, uh, it'll be substantial and it will probably eventuate at some point, won't it? Regardless of the strength of the national team. Oh, absolutely. Look, um, you know. It, it's a known fact that the U.S. is a massive commercial pipeline of money, and we all know the world rugby dances to the tune played by the uh, by the guy who's guys who write the checks. So the World Cup will be in the U.S. Um, whether it's 2027 or 2031, I'm not too sure. I think the Australians are pretty keen on 2027, so maybe it'll be 2031. Cause they'll give them a bit more time to further build interest in the game over there, but they will get it because money talks and there's a lot of money in the US. And again, that is why these games are taking place. That is why countries like New Zealand, Australia, um, you know, they're interested in the US because obviously of the, of the you know, the untapped, I guess, uh, commercial possibilities. Look, they're not without hope. It wasn't long ago Japan were hopeless, a hopeless case. You know, mm. the competition was second rate. Their team was getting beaten by record scores. You know, New Zealand's highest ever scorers against Japan at the World Cup. Uh, and look look at the way they've turned themselves around and they're now at a legitimate competitive international team. They've got a, a professional competition that is um, certainly heading towards being on a par with some of the best around the world. So Japan is the, ca- the case that, that USA need to look at. How did they do it? What pathway do we need to follow? Because Japan can do it, and, and a similar country in terms of their resources, their money, their commercial clout, um, if Japan can do it, you would think the USA could. Well, it's an interesting point, uh, if they could put it on, because, uh, to be honest, um, one of the things that's come out of this, is uh, both from Sam Whitelock and Artie Savia, is the fact that they know how to put on an event, um, and we should take a lot of lessons out of it, particularly when it comes to rugby, and spicing it up, says Artie Sevilla. So, uh, Jamie, I think if they get it, it will be quite spectacular. But, um, wow, I mean, I'm always, when the host team doesn't have a, a bolter's chance of even being competitive, that worries me about the whole thing. But I suppose, in terms of a show, America do it the best. Uh, yeah, yeah, I saw what Artie had to say, you said about that. And I think, I mean, the main thing I, I took out of that was that um, it was good to actually hear a, an All Black just come out and say something he thought, which was quite interesting, and, and have everyone say, oh, well, that's, that's kind of cool. So if any of them are listening, um, don't worry about saying what you think on social media. We're not, we're not always going to jump down your throat on it. It's because Artie had something interesting to say, so that was kind of cool. Um, yeah, uh, yes and no uh, around like the fact that they, they seem to do it better than everyone else. I think um, the fact that they have just a massive car park and that they can drive the cars in there and, and drink beer out of them, out of the back of them, is something that we don't really have here. So, of course, it's... And they have that culture uh, over there. Um, you know, it wasn't that long ago that we had an event in New Zealand that was a massive tailgate party that Artie was kind of alluding to, which is the Sevens, and that kind of got, uh, you know, that, that's been taken away through, through COVID, you know, and it fell away and, and when it was in Wellington. But, I mean... I think it's just a lack of money to be able to put that sort of stuff on. If you look at the game day experience of an all-black test, they're only ever really 
giving you a game of rugby and that's it. There's not there's not really much else. And for all that stuff to be around it, you need a stadium precinct. You need um, bars and amenities to be you know around it that and require a lot of kind of third party investment. Um, so until we can get that in New Zealand, which is a country that doesn't you know as Mark said that doesn't have as much uh, money as somewhere like the United States then we're probably not going to be able to have something like that. But, you know, if the will is there, then we can find a way. Mark Hinton and Jamie Wall with us uh, on the panel this morning. We'll take a short break for the news when we come back. Uh, a little look at a bit of a romantic game with uh, Jamie Wall, the coast, the Battle of the Coast, uh, and also uh, a little bit of uh, Stephen Adams. What a start to the season for the Grizzlies. Uh, and Mark Hinton, will, I'm sure, will comment on that as well. Mark Hinton with us this morning, uh, part two of the panel. Bit of basketball. Uh, Mark, love your comments on the start to the NBA season. Uh, such a long season, uh, so let's not get too carried away with it. But uh, Stephen Adams uh, with his new franchise. Uh, and uh, they're 2-0. Yeah, great start. And a, a, a really good start from Stephen Adams. Not, look, not a lot was expected from him um, the, the, the critics, of which there are many in, in the NBA, um, widely portray this as a major downgrade for Memphis, getting Stephen Adams to replace um, the Lithuanian centre, Jonas uh, Valanciunas, they had last year, or the last few years. Um, there, so there wasn't, there wasn't a lot of hope that Stephen would be, would be um, I guess, have a prominent role for the Grizzlies this year going into Smithy, but he has surprised um, not only the pundits, also the home fans. And he's in a good team, a good young team. They've got a, a superstar point guard by the name of Ja Morant, who's who's really going to become one of the emergent stars in the USA. A dynamic young man can jump out of the gym, can score, plays with a smile on his face. So you know, if you're thinking about tuning in to check out um, how Stephen is going this season, it's definitely worth it because uh, Ja Morant is worth the price of the ticket alone. He's the fabulous player. So I think Stevens found himself in a good place, but what a great start. Opened up with eight points and 14 rebounds and a, and a uh, hard-fought win over Cleveland. And not a great Cleveland team, but then just in last outing, they beat the Clippers, um, legitimate playoff contender out of the West, 120-114. Stephen produced 17 points and nine rebounds and shot the ball very efficiently. Look, if they give him opportunities, it looks like he's going to contribute. This is a real positive start for Stephen and a real positive start for the Grizzlies, who are tipped to be kind of fringe playoff contenders. The way they've begun, and as you say, Smithy, there's still 80 games to go in the season, so a long haul in front of these guys. You can't start better than 2-0. and So promising signs of Dean's in Memphis that, A, they're a team worth watching. They're fun to watch. They're dynamic. They're young. And they've got a, a, a grizzled, grizzled old uh, 28. He's the oldest player on their roster, would you believe, Stephen Adams. Grizzled old Kiwi centre, who's kind of, you know, excelling in the role as a glue guy for the Grizzlies. So promising inside and both, but a long way to go. Uh, Jamie, uh, I'd like to go back to uh, rugby because uh, we talked about rugby at the highest level. Uh, but then again, you, you had a classic matchup over the weekend, uh, East Coast versus West Coast. Um, which you wanted to comment on, and I um, mean, I've never been to one. I'd love to. I'd love to go to one. Yeah, yeah. I, I think um, a lot's been made of the East Coast team and their, uh, their celebrity ringings that they've, they've got in, and, and that's been an awesome story. And, and also the story of their, their long losing streak um, that they snapped um, a week before last. Uh, but for me, um, 
when I was younger, when, when back when the NBC was three divisions, and um, I had a little wall chart that I got, I think, from the Dominion or the Evening Post, and had little cards of all the teams, and each each weekend you'd, you'd rearrange them as, as to what um, position they are on the table. And one card I never had to move was West Coast because they went through, I think, about a 70-odd game losing streak in the mid-90s. Uh, and so I've always kind of had a soft spot for them. And um, they, they've been really proactive, the Heartland teams, in, in getting coverage of their games. They're able to live stream them on Facebook. It'd be awesome if some of them were on Sky, but I understand that, you know, obviously a lot of the crew's based in Auckland, so they can't get out and, and get those. But, um, yeah, I watched the East Coast East Coast game on, on Saturday afternoon, and it was awesome. It was one of the best games I've watched uh, all year. The standard was... Was was really decent. Um, it was a, a going try for try for the, for the whole game, um, and and West Coast won with a try uh, right right at the end um, there. And uh, Ma Nonu, Fafile Lavave, and Jose Aguirre all turned out uh, for East Coast there. And it looked like just everyone there was just having such an awesome awesome time. I think there was a, it looked like there was a stag do going on over on one side. So yeah, it, it does look like a really cool little event and something that's really unique. Um, to New Zealand and for me uh, to see that that really encapsulated what's everything that's good about New Zealand rugby um, right there what's good and unique and what's what's uniquely ours and then the next day to see the All Blacks playing in, in the US in some sort of Mickey Mouse test match where it, it feels kind of like that brand has been you know kind of taken away and sold off to the highest bidder it really kind of put things in perspective so I, I really really enjoyed that game and, and thanks very much to the West Coast people for uh making effort to put put that on and um, long may their success continue. Can we just, uh, oh, I'd just like to go back to basketball just for a second, Mark, if I could. And uh, Sean Marks um, is, I think, starting to really establish himself as a very good administrator in the games and standing firm on Kyrie Irving this time around. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Sh- Sean Marks, possibly New Zealand's, I guess, um, Biggest achiever in sports administration. If you think about what, it, what you know, the what it takes to be a GM of an NBA club, you're literally in charge of, of hundreds of millions of dollars, and salaries and budgets and everything. I mean, it's it's an incredible achievement, and he's found himself with the Brooklyn Nets, who uh, are quite the story. Smithy, as you touched on, got two absolute superstars in in Kevin Durant and James Harden, and, and have a third who they are unable to play in Kyrie Irving because he won't get vaccinated. And in the state of New York, if you aren't vaccinated, you can't appear um, at any public events and indoor stadiums. And so the Brooklyn Nets have said until Kyrie Irving gets vaccinated, um, he can't play any of their home games. He could technically play their away games, but they've said, you know, it's all or nothing, which is fair enough when it comes to sport. And that's uh, Sean Marks' decision, the Kiwi uh, GM of the Brooklyn Nets. He's stood firm. And I think um, most of America, from what I can work out, are standing firm with him. They back uh, Sean's decision. They back the Nets' decision, coached by Steve Nash, another fantastic NBA uh, name, brilliant point guard from a few years back and now becoming a very good coach. So, yeah, quite a standoff going on. Will Kyrie get the vaccine? Kyrie, of course, Kyrie Irving, fantastic point guard, once um, made a name for himself by proclaiming the earth was flat, and he was pretty certain about that. So let's um, have a... a, We're entitled to ask a few questions about maybe Kyrie's beliefs. 
Um, but he doesn't believe the vaccine's for him, and he is entitled to those views. Um, but he ain't playing any basketball in the meantime. And, and he is, uh, they are going to deduct his salary by um, those home games. So you know what he cops for sitting out those games this year? Smithy, $17 million US million, which is less than half his salary, but still a good chunk of change. So it's a soap opera, and much like the Ben Simmons one at the Philadelphia Philadelphia 76ers, the Aussie point guard refusing to play for a club he's uh, lost sort of um, his whole sort of uh, uh, respect for, and uh, and it's vice versa, to be honest. And so he's in purgatory, Ben Simmons, so is Kyrie Irving, the two, almost in a way, uh, the two biggest stories of the, this young NBA season. Thanks very much, uh, Mark, and to you too, Jamie, for your contribution this morning. Absolutely outstanding so yeah we'll have another panel uh, at this time uh, tomorrow morning where we'll uh, approach a few subjects i'm sure current subjects uh, might do a bit of cricket tomorrow and just see uh, whether everyone's starting to think where the black caps are uh, you've been pretty quiet this morning on the old text so we'll give you some incentive uh, temper whip pillow uh, this week uh, we're 299 bucks we will be giving away on friday uh, that's for the best text of the week the best text of the month uh, will win a temper queen package, including a temper queen mattress, queen adjustable base, and two temper pillows, valued at ten thousand dollars. So, what came out of that uh, All Blacks uh, test match for you? Anything at all? Um, was it a yawn? Uh, who impressed you? Uh, who's your halfback? The boys at breakfast had uh, a bit of go there. As TJ lost a little bit of his his form, a little bit of his standing uh, within the group there in terms of his ability. Uh, was the trip to Japan not that successful in terms of keeping his standard up? So a lot to talk about there uh, around certain positions, or do we just say, okay, we got that one out of the way and move on to the serious stuff at hand in Europe? I've got a text in there saying, uh, hi, Ian, John, do you think Italy has improved in the last decade? Or so have they been in the Six Six Nations for a while now? I think uh, they're a sleeper. They're a banana skin type side of Italy. Uh, they're capable of putting you under a lot of pressure at certain times. Uh, but they're always going to battle in that competition, always going to battle, because uh, it's nowhere near uh, their number one sport in Italy, is it, to be fair? 10.42 here on SENZ. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Ken has come in and said, Smithy, I would start... Uh, Finlay and Bowden together and Hoskins Satutu at eight. Uh, it's uh, interesting, Ken. I've I got a suspicion you're a big Hoskins Satutu fan and uh, why wouldn't you be? He's a damn fine player. So uh, interesting combinations there. Finlay Christie actually, uh, no doubt about it, putting his uh, hand up and saying, if you need me, I'm ready and putting a lot of pressure on uh, TJ Paranara for maybe a bench spot uh, going forward on this Northern Tour. Is it that Brad Weber? Is Brad Weber clearly number one? A lot of people thinking that at the moment. So, uh, NFL results this morning. Uh, the Bengals beat the Ravens uh, 41-17, so Harbaugh must be under a lot of pressure at Baltimore. The Giants beat the Panthers 25-3. The Patriots are knocking over the Jets 54-13. Falcons just getting up over the Dolphins uh, 30-28. The Titans beating the Chiefs. That was a turn-up, uh, and uh, he was absolutely no factor at all. Mahomes, the, hot, the hottest thing on the planet in terms of uh, quarterbacks. First game in his history that he hasn't thrown a touchdown. So there you go. The Titans overwhelming the Chiefs. Uh, the Packers and Aaron Rodgers too good. 24-10 over Washington. Uh, the Buccaneers are leading uh, the Bears 28-3. The 
Tom Brady marching towards 600 touchdowns in the NFL. Who's to say he won't get there? The Raiders beating the Eagles 24-7. The Rams 17-16 at the moment over the Lions at halftime. And the Cardinals, who have had such a phenomenally good start to the season, 14-5 over the Texans at this point, uh, John. So uh, I, I imagine, John, you watched the rugby. Well, what did you take out of it? Where, where do you see uh, TJ Perinara's career at the moment? Yeah, it wasn't great from TJ. It kind of, um, when the whole bench came on, they lost the flow, and I think being over there and the score was so high, like the first half was pretty clinical from the All Blacks, and it wasn't anything silly. Uh, it was just good rugby, but then the second half guys thought they could throw behind-the-back passes and just went away from the game plan, went away from the structure and thought they were the Harlem Globetrotters, I think, Smithy, and I think TJ was a big part of that. Uh, didn't set a great tone, I think, when he came onto the field, and I'm sure that wouldn't have pleased the coaching staff. Um, but whether that's just because, hey, he got caught up in the whole, hey, I'm in America, we're up by 50, 60 points, I can do what I want, or... Maybe he's just been away from the team for too long, but that shouldn't be be an excuse. I think he's dropped down the picking order. For me, Smithy, I think he would have, without Aaron Smith, would think he's the number one in the picking order. But for me, in the game plan, the All Blacks want to play and sticking to the game plan, I like Brad Weber as my number one, and I think it is close for that number two. Sure, TJ's got the experience for those big games against the bigger teams, uh, and Finlay Christie quite small and... You know, hasn't got a lot of test experience, but yeah, TJ didn't do himself any favours yesterday for me, Smithy. Okay, that's interesting, um, JD, that that you've got uh, uh, that opinion of it because um, he's been, uh, well, I guess when he left, uh, I think it's another classic case of just where you go, where where your rugby goes when you go to Japan because um, I I well remember talking to Broder Italic after his first outing when he was back saying he is so far off the pace. Uh, in terms of the physicality of the pace that the All Blacks played. He said it's going to take a bit of catching up, and I don't think there's any secret to the fact that Bowden Barrett wasn't uh, absolutely sensational when he first came back either, but he's starting to get back to where we know he can be. So uh, whilst it's um, pretty good in the pocket, I'm not too good It's uh, too good in terms of you know, the form and the standard of rugby that you're, you're probably used to playing. So, uh, yeah, interesting thoughts there. I'd uh, love to hear more from you. Don't forget those uh, temper incentives to get on the text uh, and and let us know what you think about various issues um, and we'll give you an open slather really uh, what about the black caps um, what about Pakistan beating India I'm sure there's a few uh, Indian cricket fans out there who are none too chuffed about that no one gets more passionate about sport than India and no one would uh, I would imagine have a bigger viewing audience when they're going at it than India and Pakistan and for Pakistan to get up by 10 wickets the Indians will take that as a massive drubbing and a massive insult, and they will be angry at their players. Absolutely no doubt about it. Uh, we'll visit the TAB when we come back. It's uh, 10.51 here on SENZ. ...of sport in New Zealand. Superman! Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz, racing's biggest fan. And the Irish horse sprints clear. State of rest a length. Animo follows it through. And very elegant to the outside at the 200. State of rest a neck. Animo very elegant late. It's state of rest at the 100. Animo wearing it down. State of rest just in front of Animo. State of rest holding on. State of rest I think has just won for the Emerald Isle from Animo and very elegant. Well, it was a very interesting finish to uh, the WS Cox Plate at the weekend, of course. That was the feature 
on the card at uh, Mooney Valley uh, and State of Rest winning it um, and uh, just knocking over Animo. Now, at the end of the race, there was a protest, of course. We're talking about a $5 million race, so when they go to the protest room, uh, any decision they make to overturn it is quite a substantial one in terms of the pocket, but they should ignore that uh, when uh, they do that. They've just got to look at the incident of the race itself and take the importance of the occasion away from it. Not sure if they can do that, but they have to. Uh, and in the end, they said the protest uh, was uh, overruled, not upheld. So the state of arrest uh, kept the race uh, uh, with rider John Allen. Craig Williams, of course, uh, has already won uh, the Cox Plate in the past and thought he had another one with uh, Animo, um, the, the young Godolphin horse. So he, he thought he was in business there, and they must have been pretty confident when they headed to the steward's room. But that was not the case. So uh, what did you make of that? Should that uh, Cox Plate uh, been reversed? Uh, in terms of very elegant running third, gutsy run, you always expect that uh, she will hang in there and uh, stick it out as much as, as possible. Uh, but the uh, other New Zealanders on the back of Zaki, sensationally being scratched first thing in the morning. Uh, that would have put a, a spanner in the works of a lot of punters, uh, but it didn't appear to improve the chances of the New Zealand ones, and I thought that maybe it just did. The rain coming didn't help, probably. Anyway, moving across uh, to uh, the TAB, where Paul Moati is uh, waiting for us. Another big weekend, I would imagine, in terms of uh, turnover, Paul. Uh, and another quite busy Labor Day to start the week, too, with plenty on. Yeah, that's right, Smitty. Uh, where do we start today? We've got a home track promotion on the NFL band this afternoon. The Seawolves up, up against the New Orleans Saints. What's got a $30,000 guaranteed late quarter at Tarapa? What's got a $10,000 guaranteed first four on every race at Tarapa? And also Ashburton Harness. And we've got a $20,000 guaranteed terminated pick six at the Ashford Harness as well. So there's pretty much something for everyone today to get stuck into. Colts, the Colts playing uh, the 49ers just quickly. Uh, 49ers favourites there. Yeah, uh, I, I guess. Uh, I, I'm not sure about the 49ers but the Colts have looked fairly uh, solid so far this season. Uh, the 49ers, a few injuries as well. Day or night, summer or winter, he's the sound of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, it's uh, time to speak to Andrew Voss, of course, uh, our SEN brother over in Sydney. He's uh, the host of The Breakfast Show. Of course, uh, Vossy, very, very well known and uh, recognisable voice in rugby league commentary as well. And uh, Vossi, not a heck of a lot to talk about uh, in terms of uh, the NRL. There was actually a, a game of uh, International Rugby League over the weekend with England beating France 30-10 to 10 in Perpignan. Did you ever show any interest in that at all? Oh, I did, yeah. No, I did. I did. Good morning, Smithy. Good morning, listeners. Uh, England v France. Look, more International Rugby League, um, the better. And, and you've missed the big one this morning, my friend. You've missed Scotland v Jamaica. See, we would have had the Rugby oh, League World Cup on. Had we not cancelled, Jamaica was going to be playing at the Rugby League World Cup. It's almost like, you know, the cool running story. But Jamaica has played Scotland this morning in a 30-all draw. So there you go. Um, there's a little bit of international rugby league. It's only a trickle. It could have been, you know, a whole, uh, a whole lot of it. Let's hope that we get there next year for the World Cup. We will. I have uh, complete faith that we will. And uh, the game desperately needs uh, those countries to be getting involved. Uh, so there is some news uh, coming out of the NRL. Uh, from uh, Warriors' point of view, Jermaine uh, Tonoa-Brown has been granted an early release, uh, and he's off to the Cowboys. 
Yeah, the Cowboys have picked up one. They've, they've had a bit of, um, <clears throat> I guess you'd say, a bit of rotation with some of their forwards, the likes of um, Francis Molo, who broke into State of Origin this year. He, he signed on early this season with uh, the Dragons, so thinking they need the bolster up front. I, I like to, man. I, look, the best is yet to come. That's why I always feel sorry for the Warriors, I think. And Warriors fans know the story. It's happened before, and we, we had this chat last week. I mean, I still think the likes of David Futatua, Kemal Marlow, I think their, their best football may still be ahead of them. And so to lose um, uh, you know, this young forward, who's a bit of a late bloomer, and it's disappointing that the Warriors um, you know, won't get to see him at his best because I think he's got a bit to offer. Um, but you know, this, is, this is what's happening in, in the off-season, more changes. I think the, the biggest story from this part uh, of the world in terms of the NRL is around Mitchell Pearce and what happens... I, I think it's a given. I think it's just a matter of the Knights granting him a release and he'll sign a three-year deal with the Catalan Dragons. So he'll basically take the spot of James Maloney, who's, who's um, stepped down from the elite level. He's just going to play in the second-tier French competition. So, so Pierce will leave the NRL, even though he's under contract with the Knights, and then that opens up a spot at Newcastle. However, <laughs> Luke Thompson at the moment, at the Bulldogs, this is where the story becomes a soap opera, Smithy. We're being told that he is refusing to be vaccinated, and the Bulldogs have got him on $850,000 a year. He's an employee on $850,000 a year. They're going to have to get rid of him. They're going to have to offload him. But who wants a player who's taking this stance? so openly. But if Luke Thompson goes from Canterbury, then there's talk that they would have room to have a lash at Luke Brooks from the Tigers. Are you staying with me here? Because I've got this story. But Luke yeah, Brooks yeah, is seen as the most likely replacement for Mitchell Pearce at the Newcastle Knights if Mitchell leaves. But the other twist of the story is Luke Brooks is under contract for the next two years, Smithy. So, so mm. how do we end up in this place? How, how do we end up with all this speculation in rugby league and movements and all of that? with contracted players. Contracts may as well be written on dunny paper these days, Smitty. It's seriously that we have these stories that all start around players that are on contracts that are, you know, they're signed up for two and three years down the track. It means nothing if the ball starts moving. You know what I mean? Like, I wouldn't be surprised. Luke Brooks ends up the Newcastle half next next year. Um, Mitchell Pearce is over in France. And, and Luke Thompson, well, I've, got, I've got no idea where he is. I'd say he might even go back to the UK. Who knows? Well, that's an interesting one, too, because uh, the NRL have taken a different stance to um, the AFL uh, in terms of COVID uh, vaccinations and uh, the necessity to have them as well as play. So uh, what has been your take on that? And so where does the legality arise, arise um, if there is any legal ramifications over it where do, what situation do you find yourself in uh, bearing in mind the stance the overall stance well smithy I, I think the nrl stance is actually no stance at all i, I think they're just um they've just taken an each way bet here and they're hoping that the clubs deal with it and that in a, in you know three weeks four weeks time there might only be just a trickle of players that they have to come up with some sort of hard and fast policy and the mail i'm getting from the clubs is that they will be very rigid i mean with the AFL, I mean, that has rugby league implications. I mean, Melbourne play out of Victoria. So the Melbourne Storm has to have a, uh, a no-jab-no-play policy to, to train and play. Well, there's just one team, Canterbury, and teams going back to um, off-season training next week. Um, I note that the Bulldogs, they're under 16, like the Harold Matthews over here. 
Um, they're, they're, they're already in their training has started and they've got an unvaccinated group and a vaccinated group but that, that can't be maintained long term and that you know kids up to 16 will be vaccinated um, so I think the NRL are just hoping that the clubs deal with it and if you're unvaccinated that players will will let players go uh, clubs will let players go who are not vaccinated um, just the same as we've seen in the NBL already. As for the legality of it, well, it's already been challenged over here in the workplace. And, you know, if, the, if, if your work mandates that you have to be, um, you don't have to get the jab, but if you want to work at our organisation, you must be vaccinated, that hasn't stood up in court. Uh, the, the people who have challenged that, it has not stood up in court. So they've ruled in the way of the employer rather than the employee. So I, I think somewhere down the track, the NRL should should probably follow the AFL line, but at the moment they're just hoping that the clubs will sort it out. Uh, speaking of contracts and uh, pieces of paper, as you uh, quite rightly describe it, um, they'll start to be getting uh, very interested in pieces of paper around the, do- the Dolphins, of course, with uh, Wayne Bennett at the helm there, but there's been, a few, there's been a few clubs already saying stay away from our boys, and the latest, I believe, is uh, Manly with Daly Cherry Evans. Well, it's, it's all very well to say that and, and, you know, stay away from our players, but what if the player instigates it on the slide? On the side? And from the 1st of November, as we keep saying, I mean, you know, if you're coming off contract at the end of next year, you can talk with other clubs. So, um, yeah, that's, just, that's the rules we have. Now, for players signed up longer, well, we're seeing it now in the case of, you know, others that are, you know, signed up elsewhere. They... The way it works, Smithy, you know, and, and the listeners now, I mean, if a player wants out, there's not too many clubs that stand their ground and say, you have to stay. It's like, it's just things fall into place and then the club looks at the salary they're playing, uh, paying the player and, you know, in the case of Luke Thompson at the Bulldogs, 850, how did, he get, how, how did they work out 850 for him? Good player, but he wasn't one of the elite in England. How can he be on 850? No wonder they want to offload him. And, you know, open some salary cap space. And now he's got a judiciary record as well. So, again, I get back to my point. Contracts, you may as well write them on dummy paper. Um, and, and anything is possible and probably will happen in this off-season. And, and Redcliffe is a massive player. Or the, not Redcliffe. The Dolphins are a massive player mm. because they're trying to sign in excess of 30 players. 30 players out of the existing NRL rosters. Game on, folks. Game on. Craig Fitzgibbon will be part of the uh, negotiations and the part of the uh, um, uh, group looking to for player retention because he's just uh, begun as coach of the Sharks. Well, that was interesting because he had to get permission off the Roosters because your contract goes till um, the end of October. So the Roosters had to give him permission to don a shark shirt a week early. In fact, Nick Polites, Jake Ball will have to uh, document his pay because they are paying him up to November 1. Look, they've already done some pretty good recruiting, uh, most notably Dale Finucane from Melbourne and Nico Hines. So they've they've taken two out of a you know a, a, a out of the minor premiers outfit and, and put it in there. I mean that's a pretty good uh, start to his time uh, there. Some have moved on, of course. Sean Johnson has moved on from the Sharks. Um, the likes of Josh Dugan, Aaron Woods are all gone. So things have changed there. Um, I, I think he'll be a success. I really do, Smithy. I think Craig Fitzgibbon has served a very good apprenticeship, um, uh, terrific record as a player. I think he'll be a successful coach. Okay, we'll keep an eye on, on developments there. 
uh, outside of uh, the NRL, outside of rugby league circles, um, the A-League looks set for a, a really big financial boost, around $130 million, we understand, from a company of interest to New Zealand listeners here by, by the name of Silver Lake, who've uh, bid for, what, a 30% stake in the, in the league? Well, look, I, there, there are good and bad sponsorship stories in all my time following. I'm hoping, for the sake of football across uh, uh, both our countries, that this is, um, this is a winner because... You know, when, when we start talking ownerships and buying stakes and all that, well, for instance, the NBL has been a, has been a good buy, buyout. I mean, it was on its knees and, and, and was able to pick up because of, um, you know, very generous supporter pumping dollars in. Let's hope it's the same. Because things haven't been incredibly rosy for the A-League, it has to be said. Ratings haven't been great, but they've negotiated a new television deal, so I'm hoping for their sake things turn around. And there's the profile of the national teams, of course. We just had... Yeah, it's a great step that football has made in this country. On Saturday night, now I know it was post-lockdown and people, you know, wanting to enjoy sport, but, you know, we had the Matildas playing, the Australian women's team, in front of over 15,000 fans, you know, standalone game um, at, a, at a Parramatta Stadium, which is now known as Combank Stadium. I mean, that's great stuff. Um, so football is a huge game, um, but it sort of dragged the chain because here in Australia, rugby league and AFL so big, uh, rugby union next on the pecking order, and that leaves, you know, football running a fairly distant fourth, it's got to be said, of the football codes. So I hope they get their house in order. I hope that money is genuine and that money is pumped into the right areas. Uh, let's uh, also look at um, the Australian T20 side because uh, that was a pretty impressive win um, um, to get up over South Africa first up and get some points on the board. So a good confidence-building start there. Um, and if there are any rumblings in the camp, that might have eased them a wee bit. Well, it's a pressure relief, isn't it, Smithy? I spoke to your brother, Ian Healy, today, all part of the wicket-keeping brotherhood, <laughs> and he, he thinks mm. that probably is uh, the best 11, so you do want them to fire. You don't want to have to be, you know, diverting from your plan A throughout the tournament. They may, they may play Ashton Agar, but if Glenn Maxwell does the job as the backup spinner to Adam Zanther, and, and Maxwell bowled four overs and, and actually opened the bowling in this game, then that's going to be a huge boost because he certainly holds his place down in the batting lineup. Glenn Maxwell, an absolute match winner. But if he can bowl three and four overs every match as well and do well, well that, that mm. just gets the balance of the side better. And it means that they can have Josh Hazelwood in the side and Pat Cummins, and Hazelwood was man of the match. So some very encouraging signs. You, you tell me, what, what happened? What happened to India? <laughs> How did Pakistan win by 10 wickets? Oh, that was an incredible is, result this morning. That is, a, uh, I won't say it's a major upset in terms of uh, Pakistan beating India. What I will say is uh, that's a hell of a statement because, uh, as we well know, Pakistan have been uh, what they believe have been insulted of, um, you know, by the fact that New Zealand, for one, pulled out of the tour there. Uh, England didn't even bother turning up on the basis that uh, not so much security but player welfare and fatigue and these sorts of things. So they turned their back on Pakistan and was no doubt that they would be sending a bunch of fairly angry men there. Uh, so that is a huge statement in, in that regard. I did not expect um, perhaps that they win, but I certainly didn't expect that they win by 10 wickets. That um, and probably one of the biggest viewing audiences around the world of any sport mm. this weekend as a major in insult, Vossi, for um, Indian cricket fans. And there will be a lot of them in Australia hurting this morning because that runs deep. That kind of thing runs deeper than anything you can think of, really, in terms of uh, franchises and, and uh, clubs going at it head-to-head. -head. 
Uh, these are two nations that absolutely just do not get on and never will. Well, what was it, 12 zip in World Cup encounters between the two countries? Uh, mm. India had won all 12. By the way, my advice to Indian cricket followers, and I say it slightly tongue-in-cheek, but I'd say go find a Manchester United fan and ring them this morning. <laughs> Ask them about <laughs> overwhelming defeat after what happened at Old Trafford this morning. It's been quite stunning, some of the sports results from the weekend. Yeah, it has, including uh, we beat uh, the United States, of course, as you well probably seen a headline. You wouldn't have been too interested, but we beat them 104-14. But uh, your boys struggled just a little bit against Japan. The, the margin there was um, uh, actually not as big as I thought it would be. Yeah, and Coach Rennie, a, a realist, basically called it as he saw it and basically thought the, the team had taken a step back and was a bit rusty. You know, he, you know, sure, he's happy with victory, always would be, and they've now won five in a row, the Wallabies, but wants the team to keep improving with every performance and didn't think that was the case on the weekend. So, um, you know, it's sort of a, a case of mission accomplished, move on, you know, to, to the next challenge and... That's part of the Northern Hemisphere tour. Look, I, I just say as a general overview, I, I'm just happy that we're talking about all these sports and there are things happening mm. with our national teams on the world stage considering where we could have potentially been. I mean, it's been such a, such a disrupted two years. It is so good. It is so good to take in so much sport. I mean, I'm watching the NFL this morning. It's, it's all happening and there's crowds and all of that. Um, onwards and upwards from here, Smithy. Onwards and upwards. Uh, I hope that's the case in this country very shortly too. Uh, Vossi, as always, mate, enjoy the slot on uh, a Monday morning and um, uh, we'll keep ringing you as long as you keep answering. That'll be great. Thank you. Oh, there'll be no shortage of rugby league news, Smithy. Keep the calls coming. <laughs> Andrew Voss, absolute gem. He's a gem because uh, he has so much information, uh, not just about the NRL, but about what's going on in Australia in particular, and we love catching up with our big brother, every Monday at this time. So, uh, Temper, Temper uh, putting uh, forward a pillow this week for your best text, 299 bucks with a pillow. They say they're absolutely fantastic. Haven't got one myself. Uh, Temper Queen package also for the month uh, with a mattress, a Queen adjustable base, and two Temper pillows. I understand Brendan McCullum will be sleeping on his very shortly, and that's only valued at $10,000. You get the picture here? You get the picture? Temper's got a great product. It's not coming in my direction. But how about some text? Double eight, double three uh, on your matter in terms of um, a couple of coming about TJ Perinara. Is uh, Father Time caught up with TJ Perinara or is he just a bit slow in catching up to the pace that he had before he went away? What did you make of the Cox Plate? Would you have thrown those racing fans? Would you have uh, made an adjustment to the placings in the Cox Plate? $5 million race and it uh, decided in the protest room. A number of issues to talk about there. Uh, John Day will have some news on Stephen Alka's uh, latest outing as well uh, on the Champions Tour. Another very creditable performance, I understand. It's 11.19 here on SENZ. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yeah, 11.24, uh, Morning Smithy says, Steve, TJ has had his time. Now is the time to give the likes of Christy more game time with the World Cup in mind. Uh, the more experience he can get, the better. The selectors need to get a bit more ruthless. Sometimes I feel they go a bit soft on some of the players that have been there a while. Well, certainly they, uh, they do tend to be faithful to those that have been faithful to them, and that's been the way of this particular uh, <coughs> all-black selection team. And I go back to uh, Steve, the days of uh, Sir Steve Hansen as well. 
Um, when uh, you played well for them, they will reward you and stay faithful to you, and that has always been uh, their policy. Uh, Carl says, hi, Smithy, a great season by Hawks Bay. Just remember the team you couldn't beat have had an even better one. Go the Naki. No denying that. Carl, I'd love to get um, Barnsley on the show at some point. Um, I'll probably wait till the season's over. He might have cooled down by then, or maybe he wouldn't have, but certainly they have had a heck of a season, Taranaki, and they are well worth being in the Premier Division. Absolutely no doubt about that. I wonder if there's any chance they could review that. Is it possible they could sit back and say, we got that one wrong? Never uh, too late to say that. Uh, and Taranaki, whose run has been fantastic, are clearly the best team there and deserve to be playing uh, in the Premier Division. There's no doubt about it. Um, my weekend highlights uh, coming in from another text to say Daniel Hillier and Courtney Duncan. Well, Daniel Hillier is a great story, John, because uh, he's held his nerve in, under immense pressure to birdie the final hole and win for the first time ever on the European Challenge Tour. Um, so um, he's won at uh, Costa Brava in Spain. That is absolutely fantastic. Uh, that will set him up well to get on the tour proper, and, and he'll go well there as well, and he'll be a... Um, a tour mate, I guess, of, of Ryan Fox next year on the European PGA. But uh, also coming in this morning, uh, some good news from Stephen Alka. Monday mornings seem to be good for Stephen Alka and for golf on, on SENZ because he's done well, John. Yeah, Kiwi golfers have had great weekends and Daniel Hillier caught up with Phil Tatarangi as well straight away after he'd won that. So if you go on the app and uh, find our podcast, you can find it on Teared Up with Phil Tatarangi uh, talking to Daniel Hillier there and that's a great chat. Um, Lydia Ko doing really well as well and Stephen Elka, Smithy, on the uh, Seniors Tour or the Tour Champions, I think they call it. Um, he was tied for second starting the final round of the Dominion Energy Charity Classic a uh, tournament worth over $2 million uh, American, and he unfortunately saved his worst till last. An even par final round, but he still finished tied for fourth, Smithy. So that is seven top ten finishes out of eight starts on the seniors tour for Stephen Elka Smithy, which is quite remarkable, really, uh, and finding his best form. Uh, what, did he say? what did he say to us when we talked to him? Life begins at 50, uh, and he's absolutely loving it. Well, his bank balance will be worth over a million dollars more in the last month and a half as a result of his play on that particular tour. Yes, uh, Lydia Ko breaking a course record uh, to fire um, 64, actually equaling, course record equaling 64. Just shows that it only takes one bad or one average round to take you out of the, fray and, uh, the frame. And women's golf, it's such a competitive thing there. And the, the other Ko, JY Ko, who is world number two ranked, uh, rallied from a four-stroke deficit uh, to get back up and win that. She is some player, Jin Young-Ko. Don't worry about that. So uh, that's the golfing news. Uh, in terms of uh, other New Zealanders doing well overseas at the weekend, uh, John Sophie Devine, who really has found a niche in the Women's Big Bash League, had a stride again um, in, the, in the, the competition in Tasmania. She's playing for the Perth Scorchers, one of their favourite daughters, uh, I would imagine. Um, she scored 100 off 58 balls, and uh, by the time she was dismissed, she made 101 off 60 balls at six sixes and featured in 173 run opening stand with Australian international Beth Mooney. Uh, that's incredible. Uh, she is doing uh, really well in that competition, uh, and on the back of Rachel Priest doing so well the other day. So. Kiwis to the fore in the WBBL, John. Yeah, which always frustrates me. It's my instant feeling is well done, but why can't you do it for the White Ferns? But yeah, I, I guess I should let that go. That's my issue. Smithy, I should just celebrate when New Zealanders 
are doing well. And I did enjoy that text about Courtney Duncan as well. Uh, she's become a friend of the show, hasn't she, Smithy? We talked to her last week and we basically said, hey, you've won the title already, haven't you? But she was very, um, as, as she is, uh, understated and just like, nah, I've got to do the job first, Smithy. And she did the job. Uh, she came third in the first race. That was enough for the title. But she doesn't take her ha- uh, hand off the throttle. Well, she did the week before, fell off her bike and cut her hand. But um, this time she didn't. She won the final race. And she is a three-time world champion, Smithy. Not many New Zealanders can say that they are three in a row world champions in a sport that maybe isn't respected the way it should be down here. But up in Europe, extremely competitive. There's 40 elite riders in this competition every year and probably thousands more trying to get on that circuit. But Courtney Duncan is the queen of motocross. No doubt about that, Smithy. And not many of them like each other too. That's what I like about it. Uh, Look, it's uh, coming up to... Uh, 11.30 here on SENZ, and uh, that means even on Labor Day, even on Labor Day, we're giving you a chance to stump Smithy. So 0800 150 811. 0800 150 811 is the phone number. Yes, Courtney Duncan has uh, won three in a row. Uh, any chance that one of you guys or girls could win three in a row against me? Good luck. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Well, a public holiday here in New Zealand, so the lines aren't as busy, which means we get to hear new voices, which is fantastic. And one of the new voices I'm seeing on the screen is Jason from Papakura. G'day, Jason. Have you been part of Stump by Smithy before the quiz? I've won one time before, yeah. A long, long time ago, now that we're well established, I'm sure, uh, about three months into the station. Uh, How long ago did you win and which sporting category uh, treated you well? Uh, I, I snuck in with a cricket win. Oh, nice, nice, very good. Well, you get another opportunity today, but cricket will not be one of your options. So three sports, you choose one, get three questions right, you win 50 bucks from the TAB and some sleep drops, daytime revive, but get one wrong and Smithy can stump you. So your sports today are rugby union, basketball and Formula One. Let's go rugby union. Rugby union, solid, solid as. All right, let's not waste any time. Rugby Union, who's your team in Papakura then? Counties? Uh, actually, I'm a Hawke Bay boy. Oh, oh, they're, they're not a bad team, eh, Smithy? You win. You win. Let's get on. Love it. Love it. Well, this first question, quite close to Hawke's Bay, potentially. The first game of professional rugby in New Zealand was played in 1996 between which two teams and where was the match played? Auckland and Canterbury in Auckland. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Smithy, first game of professional rugby in New Zealand in 1996 between which teams and where? Um, I'm going to say the Hurricanes and the Blues in Palmerston North. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Not winning today, unfortunately, Jason. Thank you. You have been stumped well and truly. I was actually at that game, um, Smithy, travelled over from Masterton. Very exciting. Yeah. Auckland Blues. I just remember that a Ronnie Clark was on fire that day, and I had royalty sitting in front of me. Sir Brian Lahore was right in front of me. My dad stood up with some hot chips and spilt them all over Sir Brian Lahore. So an embarrassing day for the Day family, uh, but a great occasion. 
Yeah, that's, that, that's a unique story, actually. You should hold on to that one. Um, <laughs> if you, I, can, I can tell you, you, you could, sometimes if you spill your chips on someone, they turn around and thump you. So, yeah. very, a very passive and understanding man, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, my dad went bright red, beetroot red. But anyway, we move on and we have got Jade from Hamilton. G'day, Jade. Hey, mate, how are you? Yeah, good. I think you're a newcomer to this uh, segment as well. What's your rugby knowledge like? Oh, yeah. Not too bad. Not too bad. All right. Well, two questions right, and you will get 50 bucks from the TAB, and you'll get some sleep drops a daytime revive as well. It's New Zealand's only specialist range of sleep and stress support supplements. And your first question is, in 2019, the Crusaders made it three Super Rugby titles in a row. Who did they beat in the final in 2019 of Super Rugby? Mm. Still there. Uh-huh. Still there, Jade? Yeah, still there, yeah, 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 yeah. 2019. Uh, let's go with... Let's go with the Chiefs, One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. It was not the Chiefs. You're a Hamilton man. Uh, I can see why you went Chiefs, but no, it was not Chiefs. Smithy, who did the Crusaders to beat to make it three titles in a row in 2019 in the final? Uh i got a sneaking suspicion it was a South African side, but I can't um, absolutely remember. I will go, I'll go um, the, the Bulls. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. They beat the Lions away, then they beat the Lions at home, and for their third title, they beat the Hawares from Argentina, 19 points oh. to three in the final in 2019, which means you're still alive, Jade. And one question, one question for everything, so... Let's start the music again, and let's ask you this one question for all the prizes. Who was the last non-New Zealand team to win Super Rugby? You have to go back quite a way. The Lions. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. I'm not sure whether the Lions have actually won a Super Rugby title, but I might be wrong. Uh, Smithy, who was the last non-New Zealand team to win Super Rugby to stump Jade into jackpot it for tomorrow? Brumbies. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. It's good news for you, Jade. You have not been stumped. It was the Waratahs in 2014 when they beat the oh. Crusaders. So that means, Jade, you win 50 bucks from the TAB, but no sleep drops because you have to get the question right to get sleep drops. So 50 bucks from the TAB is not bad, though, Jade. Wonderful. Thanks, guys. Awesome, mate. Enjoy. Stay on the line. Uh, Jade and Brian will get uh, all those details off. You'll get that 50 bucks into your account as, as soon as we possibly can. Um, so, John, yeah, uh, another failure there to start the week, getting used to that. Um, we will take uh, more texts and uh, any calls you like, double eight, double three. Um, but I, at the moment, uh, my screen's down, so I can't read the text, John. So, anyway, we'll be back very shortly here on SENZ. It is 11.37 as we head towards midday, where Staffy takes over. He's the voice of sport in New Zealand. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well then, John, uh, we've got a text in from Chris this morning and a caller on the line. I think we'll take the text first. All right, mate. Uh, The text is from Chris and it says... 
The main thing I noticed about Finlay Christie, this is talking about yesterday's test between the All Blacks and USA, is the lines that he runs. Predicting where the ball will be and where the breakdown will be. That's what gets him there sooner. It's easy to do against a team like the USA when you can predict who's going to break the game line every time we touch the ball, but I like what I saw. Put him ahead of TJ. And that is from Chris Smithy. So, yep, the the half-bake back debate continues, doesn't it? It does, and it will continue to uh, rage on as well, Uh, especially when you've got Aaron Smith uh, sitting back here in Fielding or Palmerston North or waiting in the wings. So uh, we'll we'll keep an eye on that development. Uh, You know, Baz, Brendan McCullum is back on the show tomorrow morning with Izzy, but that doesn't mean much to us at this point because we've got Baz on the line from Nelson, our own very... Uh, own Bazza. Uh, good morning to you, Bazza. Thanks very much for uh, for calling in, mate. Uh, you want to reminisce a wee bit about Hello. some uh, glory days in Hawke's Bay rugby? Yeah, mate. I just I heard it was about half a sake this morning. I didn't get it all, but anyways, they were talking about Hawke's Bay rugby. I think is that right? Yep, we were. Okay, I'm just looking at the program, mate. I um, I was part of a team that played in the Curtain Razor, Hawke's Bay versus North Auckland, 1969. Yep. Okay. We, Walks by yeah, yeah. And okay. well, I'm just looking at some of the photos in the Ian McCraig crashes over in the arms of Graham Williams, Bill Davis eludes Gerald Kember, Hepa Piwai dies past Owen Stevens. But anyway, in the Hawks Bay team, mate, there was Bishop Bill Davies, is it? W. L. Davies, Bill Davies. Yeah, yep, but Davis, yep. Bill Davis. Ian McCrae, Hepa Piwai, Kieran Crawford. Yeah, Karen Crawford, absolutely. Cal Tremaine, Thimbleby. But even the North Auckland team, mate, there was um, Panther, Brian Going, Sid Going, of course. Um, Brian, oh, and Frank Colthurst. Oh, mate. Anyway, it was a great game. I don't know what the final score was, but I know North Auckland got bloody close. Um, I think it, and they kept the shield. Um yeah, but it was a great game. But, yeah, just bloody, that was a real good era of um, Hawks Bay Shield rugby, wasn't it? Yeah, and, and they're very, you know, they're playing very well. What, what, who did you play for and what what was your game like in the Curtain Razor back then? Oh, we got dicked, mate. It was, we were a junior army team from Iuru and we played yep. Napier third grade reps. We were, we were out of our depth, mate. We got... We got a bloody hiding, but uh, one particular guy, the captain of our team, was a guy called Ralph Dempster Rivet. Ralph went on to play for counties, and he played for Wanganui, I think. He was a bloody good rugby player, Ralph. Unfortunately, he's passed away, but um, I played hooker in that game. Um, yeah, we got a hiding. <laughs> anyway, it would have been it would have been a sizable crowd, sizable crowd back in those days, wouldn't it? Um, oh. Because of standing room, etc. Oh yeah, mate. When we watched the uh, main game, we were we were sitting on the, you know, on the on the sideline basically. Yeah, amazing scenes it, it, back in those days. And it was a midweek game. It was it was a Wednesday game, I yeah. think. A midweek game. That's right. Yeah, there were a lot of, and even as yeah. late as uh, as the seventies, I, I remember Palm Manor two lost the shield uh, to North Auckland as it was back in those days. Not Northland, North Auckland. That was a midweek game as well in Palmerston North. So, yeah, man, because the competition, uh, you know, you could play Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday on a regular basis back then. Yeah, that's right. Who took the shield off North Auckland in in the the 69 or 70? No, North Auckland. I can't remember. No, it might have been Auckland. Uh, I'll have to look back on the records for that. 
Um, and uh, yeah. yeah, okay. What about Taz? What about um, you're calling from uh, Nelson at the moment, Bazza? So where are your allegiance lie these days? Where 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 are you? Are oh. you a Tasman man? Mate, no, I'm a Horrifanoo Capity man, mate. Okay, Horrifanoo Capity. And they played at the weekend. I, I'm not sure they went too well at the weekend. Yeah. But, but, um, yeah, they lost They lost to Wanganoo the week before. They'd won four on the trot. Yep. They lost to Wanganoo, and I don't know who they played last weekend again, to be honest. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm a third division man. So, Good on you. Grassroots. It's great rugby. Grassroots. Thanks very much for your call. Really appreciate uh, you coming in on that. Um, so uh, that's Baza from ringing from Nelson, but a horror for Noah Kapiti man, and his his idea of rugby is still very much their division. I love that. Um, so yeah, John, um, interesting to hear that. And uh, he didn't mention uh, being a Tasman supporter, so you're, you're still. Um, in the minority there. Yeah, like you, Smithy, you know, people just come to the most beautiful region. You were born there, Nelson, and then you just leave and forget what the place did for you. You know, Bazza just doesn't know how good he's got it. He'll, he'll come to his senses one day and he'll support the Markle. He'll get his fin up, no doubt about it. Um, Plunkett Shield, Cricket Smithy, uh, on at mm. the moment, and another South African dominating for New Zealand cricket. This is becoming quite the theme in the last, what, 10 years, that South Africans love coming over here and doing well. Yeah, this is a guy by the name of uh, Travis Muller, if you haven't heard of him, folks. And he is uh, playing in the uh, for Wellington uh, in this match, this current match against the uh, o- Otago Volts. Um, in fact, no, he's not. He's playing for Otago, is he? Sorry, I should have a look at this. Uh, yes, he is. He's playing for Otago. John, oh, yeah, I got that completely wrong. But yeah, he got wickets, wickets at the weekend and uh, a few runs as well. Um, and it's nice to see uh, players going down to that area. I, I love to think that, uh, you know, Otago get the benefit. Sometimes they're, they're seen as the very poor cousins in a lot of sports, and cricket uh, certainly is one of those. And I, I like to see that their ranks are strong. When Otago cricket is strong, I think it uh, reflects well um, in New Zealand cricket. So uh, looking at that match, Otago batting first, 207. Uh, Wellington in reply, uh, they scored 195. So... Uh, Muller taking a 6 for 52 off 17 impressive overs. That's very, very good. And whilst it's raining in Wellington at the moment, uh, Otago in their second innings are 160 for 7. So uh, a very tight game, uh, 172-run lead with three wickets remaining. And, of course, in the other one, which is uh, a bit closer to home from my point of view, uh, a really impressive start to the competition for the Central Stags. Now, they're 105 for... Uh, or 101 for five, I think, in their first innings. When a young fellow from uh, Hawke's Bay, in fact, from my Cornwall club, by the name of Bailey Wiggins, walked to the crease. Now, this is a kid who's already played a bit of white ball cricket. He's dynamic, actually. I mean, he, he just he's a great watch because uh, he likes, he's a bit Brendan McCallum-like. He likes making things happen every ball. Well, he strode to the crease on debut and uh, promptly put together an amazing innings of 133 of just 138 balls in the process, uh, he knocked uh, an attack led by Matt Henry all around um, Hagley Oval. 16 fours and three sixes, John. So keep an eye out for Bailey Wiggins. It's only new uh, to the frame, and uh, I've learned a lot about him already, I would imagine. And that game is very much in the favour of the Stags. You now lead by 205 runs with nine second innings wickets still in hand. This is uh, the morning of day three, let's not forget. Uh, and they've uh, sent out a night watchman, also a, a Hawke's Bay guy called Jane Lennox. Uh, sent him out late last night to protect the, the next batsman in. Uh, and he's 39 not out, John, uh, off uh, 74 balls 
and he's at six four. So yeah, they're re- really dominating that match down there in Christchurch. That is bloody impressive from Bailey Wiggins, uh, and good to see Ben Wheeler as well making seventy four with the bat. Of course, um, his international career kind of hit a big jutter bar, didn't it? But um, he's still plodding around. Oh, I'm doing more than plodding. He's whacking it around for Central Stags and doing pretty well with the ball as well. What do you see the future for Ben Wheeler? It's an interesting one with him, isn't it? He's always showed a lot of promise. Um, what does the future hold for Ben? Well, I think he's still young. I mean, uh, but he, his problem has always been injuries, John. Uh, he's he's a good left armer. Uh, he's very a talented cricket all around. Uh, very, you know, son, brother of, uh, brother of Joey. So you know, good Marlborough family, good Tasman family, uh, in that respect, John. So yeah, look, uh, yeah, he's he's just got to stay fit and play well over a long period of time to convince selectors that he's back um, because he is a, a very talented all round cricketer. But at the moment, there's a host of them floating around, and it might be quite a big journey back for, for Ben Wheeler. Uh, it's 11.52 here on SENZ Short Break, and when we come back, Staffy, to preview the afternoon show.